We're gonna get a copyright strike off of this shit, you know. We're not gonna get a copyright strike. <laughs> no, it's it's too good. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, it's, people uh, are gonna listen to us do that and go, "Holy shit, is that John Williams <laughs> in a symphony orchestra?" They wow. will be thinking that as opposed wow, is to that the theme from James Bond. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Welcome back to Kill Indiana Jones. <laughs> that's right. Don't, don't don't threaten me with a good idea. Oh, it's not enough movies, if, though. That's the right. issue. And he mm. fights the Nazis, and then also the communists. Well, the problem with that is we could we'd have to do my original. Well, there's a ton of young Indiana Jones like EU stuff, though. Yeah, there's oh, that. There's point, that. There's yeah. all the video games. But there's what I'm thinking games. is go we... back in time and kill young Indiana Jones. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> what, what we'd have to do is like what I was thinking of as the B plan for Kill James Bond after we ran out of Bond movies, which was not rebrand the podcast and watch other movies, but instead uh, do all of the episodes again. But we're not allowed to rewatch any of the movies, so we have to do starting from Doctor No, but we only have our notes from watching it the first time. <laughs> I mean, why why doesn't he simply kill them? That That's the question I have about this. Doctor now. Yeah. Mm. Welcome to, well, where's your problem? <laughs> it's a podcast about engineering <laughs> disasters. It slides. So I'm Justin Rosneck. I'm the person who's talking right now. My pronouns are he and him. Okay, go. I'm Alice Caldwell Kelly. I am the person who is talking now. My pronouns are she and her. Yay, Liam. Yay, Liam. Hi, I'm Liam Anderson. Uh, oh, fuck. My pronouns are he and him. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I had to think I had about to think that for a, for a second, second, did you? Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> Uh, It'll be a I, they them my, by next episode. My, I'm calling my pronouns, it now. My pronouns. I actually identify as an attack helicopter. Why am I being shipped to the front? I don't want to go to the front. <laughs> actually, I sexually identify as a Bayraktar TB2 UCAV. Oh, mm -hmm. God. Joe Kasabian's not going to be pleased by that. <laughs> Listen, how, how uh, shitty do you have to be a transporting fuel to get domed by Great Value Predator? <laughs> <laughs> What you what you see on the screen, unfortunately, oh shit, I gotta bring is, up the notes. is not Penn Central Part Two. No, um, we had an emergency. We had Sorry. an emergency. Yeah, there was there was a a situation. Well, um, for one thing, all three of us had to go and join the Ukraine Territorial Defense Force. I so yes. will I will lay down my life for my ancestral home of Sweden, and I don't care anymore. Uh, hmm. Well, uh, it is the same colors on the flag. Yeah, exactly. I don't have to learn too much. <laughs> <laughs> Um, today we're going to talk about airmail. Yes, the famous um, teen pre-teen clothing store, Aeropostal. Yes, <laughs> it's, it's it's decline and failure. Man, whatever happened to Aeropostal? That's you don't back. see that shit. It's, no, it's, it's back. back? It's what? back. Some some hedge fund bought it. Yeah, huh. oh. I saw one in the Cherry Hill Mall, and I thought I had time traveled. God, that's going to be a weird vibe if I ever see one of those over here. Incredible. I like that I searched Aeropostale, and the first people also ask, is Aeropostale for 12-year-olds? <laughs> uh, Aeropostale yes. is the, the, the Team Fortress Red to Forever 21's Team Fortress Blue. You can pick one, uh, and you have to remain loyal to it unto death. So, <laughs> Oh, Jesus. Oh, man. Alright. But before we talk about this, There's we still have to a do thousand it. stores in the Americas. That seems crazy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we have go to ahead. Do the goddamn news. 
right. So Russia, Ukraine, who you got? Oh, uh, uh, Cubs and five. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, I'm going Bruins and seven. Uh, personally, uh, listen, I, I, I do want to get out ahead of as, as you know, and say, uh, if you're looking to us, uh, for expert, nuanced geopolitical views, uh, fuck you. Yeah, only look to me. I'm the only one who does those. These yeah. two jokers, on the other hand. But yeah, no. Uh, so some news has occurred. Some events have transpired. Yes, some stuff uh, happened. R- Russia, Russia actually went for it. They did the thing that seemed politically impossible, and everybody except me was wrong about. And they yeah. actually tried to invade Ukraine uh, and occupy at least some of it, perhaps all of it. We don't know yet. Yeah, no one knows what the actual strategic goals are. Uh, um, someone DM'd me to call me a NATO shell, which. Oh, like uh, a few uh, days in, I, I've been I've been a NATO shell. I've been a yeah. Putin shell. I've you know I get around. I guess I've, I've just avoided posting about it because I wanted to save all my bad takes for here. Um, <laughs> I I think Russia's got this one. I think hmm. they're gonna do it. <laughs> it's it's a foregone conclusion, right? Like R- Russia's gonna crush them, obviously. Yeah, but it's taken an embarrassingly long amount of time. It's required an embarrassing amount of help from both Belarus and also Ramzan Kadyrov and Chechnya to even get this far, right? And it's like, this is really revealing some serious operational weaknesses in the Russian military. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. Just to, to still not have uncontested air superiority. At least still not. Still not, no. Embarrassing. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> Like uh, troops communicating on civilian radios using fucking Baofengs, like the guys who occupy the capital. Uh, I mean, just, the Taliban. The Taliban managed it with cell phones. So yeah, I mean, and and the thing about a cell phone is you can yeah, like command. No Pashto, Roz. Uh, <laughs> you can command detonate an IED with a cell phone. Difficult to do with a radio. Um, but obviously, this is um, like. It's rare to see someone who isn't the United States and who is in fact opposed to the United States do the unambiguously evil thing. Like the last big hit we got like this was ISIS, I guess. Oh yeah. Um, and now we have single-handedly, uh, Putin has handed NATO a reason to exist. Um, yeah. Oops. Dr- dr- driven <laughs> Sweden and Finland into NATO. Oops. It, it, it badly embarrassed the DSA International Committee. Not that that was that difficult to start with. And <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> I didn't think the statement was that bad. They they said the US should withdraw from NATO. That's I mean that's clown shoes. Yeah. But uh, well, yeah, that it, would be pretty funny. <laughs> it, it would be. It would be. Um, and, and this has led to a, a sort of almost totally unexpected groundswell of support for for Ukraine. Uh, not because people are NATO shells, although some are, uh, but because a lot of people are justly outraged by this. Russia has had to do a considerable amount of like internal suppression of news and dissidents and protests mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, but also, it means that now uh, a shitload of airspace is closed to Russian planes, people are boycotting Russian products, weirdos are filming themselves pouring out Russian vodka, yeah. and we have here a rally in support of Ukraine, in Center City, Philadelphia, spiritual home of the pod. Yes. Um, please ignore not, the red notably, and black flag. Notably please with, ignore uh, that flag. Please, 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 ignore, the please, please ignore that. Do, do, do not. If 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 you yes. see this flag, make sure make sure that flag is not at the protest. Yes. That's that's the Ukrainian insurgent army. They're the guys who work with the SS. 
Yeah, see, this is the and thing, worthy, right? SS. <laughs> yeah. The, um, there's, there's... Okay, so we should prioritize here, right? We're not saying every Ukrainian is a Nazi. We're not saying that Ukrainians, that Ukrainians are Nazis for wanting to defend themselves against the Russians. However, like every country in the world, and particularly in Eastern Europe, Ukraine has Nazis in it. Yes. Ukraine has had yeah. Nazis in it for a long time. So does Russia. Um, yes. But what so this is, yeah, uh, yeah, what this is is in the form of a helpful guide to recognizing your flags at a protest, right? Because a lot of the people, everybody's been so wrong-footed by this. Everyone's been so surprised by this that there hasn't been time for a lot of the sort of like if you like the PR aspect of this on Ukraine's side to like work itself into a narrative. And so as a consequence, what you have are the people who are already there. And there are a lot of like Ukrainian diaspora communities in the US and Canada, uh, of whom the people who are most interested in Ukrainian sovereignty tend to be, let's say, ideological, right? Yes. <laughs> And this means that the people who like say, say you want to buy a, like a I don't know a Ukrainian flag to show your support for uh, innocent civilians being bombed by the Russians, right? The guy who is most ready to sell you a Ukrainian flag at this moment is also a guy who knows a surprising amount about the SS division Galicia. Right, <laughs> um, and you should perhaps like it. It's not something to change the way that you feel about any of this, but it's something to perhaps keep in mind that this is the rare kind of process where, if you see a half red, half black flag, that's not a good thing. Yes. You know what else I just noticed? Snap. Hmm. Oh, uh, David O, city council person at large, has a tent back here. Ah, yeah. Ugh, David O. David O, he's our token Republican. David O-U-N, if you like. The, the, the city charter says we have to have a <laughs> he got Republican. Stabbed, right? He did get stabbed, yes. He got stabbed? Why did he get stabbed? Because we live in Philly. Because oh, he lives in Southwest Philly. Because bad things happen in Philadelphia. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's our way of uh, of ensuring uh, vote boats are go the way we want is simply stabbing our opponents in the streets. <laughs> yeah. There's uh, the, it's a not reporter, easy work, but the reporter who posted this picture on Twitter got dogpiled for not knowing what that flag was, which I mean I guess is understandable. Not many I guess people so, know. But- yeah, the UPA flag. No, or not what a lot of people UPA are going to know that. And like, <laughs> yeah. Also, I should say the extent to which cuz like now Russia is trying to frame invading Ukraine as a denazification effort. It's not a denazification effort. No. Partly because you're using like guys like Kadarov's guys who are halfway Nazi already. They're like just Nazi but also Muslim. But partly because like if you wanted to confect the best possible thing for Eastern European Nazis, the best thing you could do would be a unilateral Russian invasion of a country that is not Russia. Because now, even the fucking Polish Nazis are on board with the Ukrainian Nazis. Because now (laughs) they have a narrative that seems to make sense, which is, oh, we have to be strong and we have to be fascist in order to resist the obviously now very real Russian aggression. You know, this whole thing sounds, what was that Spike TV uh, television show, like Deadliest Warrior? Deadliest mm. warrior. Deadliest warrior, and it's IRA like, versus Taliban. Uh, Azov battalion versus Chechens. Uh, yeah, Azov <laughs> battalion versus Katarovtsi is. Yeah, I hope they both lose. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
Oh my god. All right. I have one thing, but hang on because I'm chewing. Mm. I will say mm. just like this to, to fill time while you're chewing. Don't mm. freak out about nuclear war. There isn't going to be a nuclear war. If there is going to be a nuclear war, you will not have time to own me about it, but there isn't. Right. No, I'll I'll have time to own you about it. Yeah, I also will. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll get right in the group chat and say you're on. As there, I there get on. There, there are two possible ways for a nuclear hey, war to start with the here. Right? Cloud over South Philly. <laughs> one, one, one is Russian troops enter a NATO member like Poland or uh, the Baltics. That's not going to happen because it was start a nuclear war instantly. The other is NATO troops enter Ukraine, and that would start a nuclear war. Um, however. Only one of these, to my knowledge, has people advocating for it because the fucking libs and their fucking death drive have yes. determined that now yeah. what we should do is a as a no fly zone in yes. Ukraine, which is fully a nuclear okay. war. That is uh, starting. There, that's. I, I mean, there was there was a, a Twitter notification last night. You know how Twitter pushes news mm. notifications, right? And said, you know, you can Ukraine, turn that off, right, guy? Yeah. Well, you, you know, I, I, at this I, point. It, it's never given me a heart attack before because the way it was phrased yesterday is it sounded like you uh, Biden had declared a no fly zone and um, uh, no, uh, it was actually Biden has restricted U.S. airspace to Russian aircraft, which um, is technically which, a no which fly is, zone, I guess. I guess, but you know that's that's uh, okay. So the so Aerofly can land here, whatever. That happened like three days ago too. Um, yeah. When when we say no fly zone, what we're talking about happening is uh, NATO warplanes would go in and shoot down Russian planes, which would be a shooting war between the US and Russia. It's something Biden has already ruled out because he's more yeah. sensible than every fucking Rand Corporation Foundation for the Defense of Democracy's vampire, which is total yes. lunacy, by the way. Yes, that, that yes. fucking it wouldn't even fucking work. No, they probably not. But I do have a question. Yes. Uh, okay. So this was posed by my dad, mm. uh, which was uh, he, he. So he was talking about the old method when he was redacted, making Molotov cocktails, <laughs> uh, where it, he was saying, like, I, you know, he was talking about how he used to make Molotov cocktails uh, back in the old days. Uh, mm. And now, because uh, he's been out of the game, he understands that they use styrofoam in them. And he was yes. trying to, like, quantify the. Uh, the the environmental effects of breathe of breathing in gasoline and dissolved styrofoam. Yeah, I, I saw a video of Ukrainian women making Molotov cocktails, and they're just like grinding up styrofoam with cheese graces, and it's just assume, all in the air I assume and everything. The answer is yeah. don't breathe that in. You, you probably, probably, probably don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah you that's, that's what I told when you're doing that because because I was figuring you couldn't use the gasoline because now has styrofoam in it for a car anymore, so you just you know, have a village well of Molotov makings and you just put it in an oil drum in the center yeah. of your town. Yeah, it's, it's like a poor like, man's napalm. This yeah. sounds like the libs giving advice on how one guy can take out a tank. That's oh, not the that, that shit, <laughs> that dude. That was awful. That was, oh, oh use, a paint, use a paint balloon or use the 900 million javelins you guys have lying around. I'm going to be <laughs> honest. I mean, I think if Ukraine wins this one, the fact they armed all those civilians is going to come back to bite them. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I think that's absolutely true. It's yeah. going to come back to bite everybody. Like, Everyone, uh, yeah. The, the, the sort of the... The think tank determination now is now that we have caught Putin's dick in our mousetrap, we are going to try and make Ukraine his own personal Afghanistan. And uh, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't say this lightly, but the um, uh, the insurgency in Afghanistan had some negative consequences for people other than the Red Army. Um, 
not not just yeah. even the Americans, but also the people in Afghanistan, the people in the countries neighboring Afghanistan. Um, so yeah, no, this this kind of insurgency shit, uh, it's gonna get worse before it gets better. Um, yeah. Yes. But uh, but there probably still won't be nuclear war. Uh, you probably can quote not. me on that. <laughs> um. Well, in other news. They're trying. They're they're gonna oh, this bring. This is this is a miscarriage of justice. They're gonna mm. bring Brandon Bastian to trial to say he was recklessly driving when he crashed the train back in 2013. I think this is one of the stupidest uh, uh, attempts at trying someone for a systemic failure uh, ever. Um, it's been rejected by all the lower courts several times over. Um, the judge on this case has ruled, however, that the defense can't use the argument that Mtrak should have uh, installed automatic train control on that track as an argument. I mean, they, they already kind of did a version of a road version of this with that um uh, that trucker in Colorado who was uh, like uh, jailed for I guess manslaughtering people, right? Oh, right, yeah. Because he had a brake shoe that was worn through, and like nominally he should have checked this instead of the company. For for context here, um, in 2013, a train was over speeding at the Frankfurt Junction curve in Philly, um, and came off the track, killed a bunch of people. The train wrecked. Um, that the engineer Brandon Boston had been distracted by reports of kids throwing rocks at trains, which is something we do in Philly. Um, Bad things and, happen in Philadelphia. Yeah, exactly. And lost track of where he was, so he didn't remember to slow down to 70 miles an hour for the curve, or 60 or whatever it is, and instead went through 110. And um, so, so that was not good. He survived, um, and now they're, trying to, now they're trying to pin the accident on him personally, as opposed, to, as opposed to, you know, there's supposed to be automatic systems in place and in fact there had been automatic systems in place on this curve for a hundred years literally but only on the southbound tracks not the northbound ones <laughs> you know I, I this is going to be a very pro-union argument if you recall back to our apt episode where i suggested that the strength of british labor unions was such that you needed like a a six-man train crew i feel if you're going to be giving train operators the responsibility of like managing fucking information workflow about kids throwing rocks at trains, you need yeah. a second guy to do that while one guy drives the train. That's always something I thought was wild, is that freight trains need two guys in a cab, but passenger trains only need one. <laughs> no, this is... So, Josh Shapiro, who is running for governor in Pennsylvania, mm. and is a member of my people, um... <laughs> Sorry, did you want to put the fucking echoes on his name too? Uh, yeah, uh, no, I listen. He he's running for governor, and this feels like pure political opportunism, and it's fucking disgusting. Uh, what's his last name? I know his first name is uh, Brandon Boston. Boston. I almost said Bosco for some reason. Boskov. Boskov. Uh, it's like no, this like it's a tragic accident. Tragic accidents happen. This is a systemic failure. This is not Brandon Bot. You know, it's it's just it's it's a miscarriage of justice, and the state knows it. Josh Shapiro knows it. We know it. You know it. I know it. The kids throwing rocks know it. Yeah, it was funny. Is uh, people went back on his. Uh, he posted on trainorders.com or .org, which mm. is the railfan forum you have to pay to join. 
Um, and he was post he he had a series of posts about exactly this safety condition on Frankfurt Junction that that there was no automatic train stop uh, on or automatic train control on the outer two tracks, despite the fact that there's a higher speed zone right before the curve and a higher speed zone right afterwards. <laughs> Jesus. Overall, very safety conscious person who just got unlucky. <laughs> I mean, I feel like if you select at random, right, like yeah. it's, it's shitty for it to land on the person who is like alive to this problem and like cares about it rather than the guy who just doesn't give a shit. Right? Yeah. <laughs> My but God, I suppose we'll all be we'll all be punished for our kindnesses, right? So, like, this is true. Yeah. Speaking yes. of, I should I should have put in a slide about the Texas trans thing. I'll do that next oh, episode. Right, yeah, was, we we were spot. We yeah, we should put that in. Nuke Texas and Florida and every state. Nuke ourselves, <laughs> Mr. Putin. Fire when ready. Uh, you know what else <laughs> we should do? We should put some links to some uh, Ukrainian humanitarian organizations in the description that you can click oh, on that's, right that's now. True. Yeah. Yeah, because it's uh, if you can help by way of that, I don't think you can help by way of uh, uh, give giving people advice on how to disable a tank. Posts do not post. Don't go yeah. to Ukraine and enlist. But what you can do maybe is give to the Red Cross or something, and that'll help a bit. Maybe I don't know. Although if you do enlist, uh, please wear one of our T-shirts. Mm. Yes, absolutely. We, we, we got to work absolutely. on brand. Yeah, yeah. I, I do love the idea of the WTYP battalion. Which just tries to fight everyone. <laughs> if you can gin up like some kind of cool laser cut WTYP like tactical patch to wear, uh, oh, yeah. send send us a photo of that from Ukraine, and we'll give you fuck. I don't know what we'll give you something, uh, something something cool. Mm. Yeah. So note that you should be fighting on the Ukrainian side. Do not join the Russian yeah, army. Don't, 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 don't do that. Podcast. Please do not join the Russian army. <laughs> um, don't if do you're that. thinking about it, if you're on the fence, don't don't yeah, do that. Yeah, you're on the fence. You know, like I I recommend you fight for Ukraine and not for Russia. All Absolutely. things considered. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right, that was the goddamn news. Okay, so. Um, we're going to talk about airmail, but in order to get into that, we're going to talk about early air transport, right? Mm, we're going to talk about the Montgolfiers and shit. Ah, uh, I actually skipped over that. I, I, I decided to find the board. talk about, yeah, we'll talk about the first time mail was transported by air. Jean-Pierre Blanchard lifted off a balloon from the Walnut Street Jail in Philadelphia on January 9th, 1793. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good things also happen in Philadelphia. Yes, it was a great public spectacle, and of course, Benjamin Franklin was said to be in attendance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Using this as a diversion so he could steal from graves. That was a, that was a callback <laughs> to our Hindenburg episode. Oh, well. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't ben, know. How, Benjamin, I don't know. Benjamin Franklin, like a fucking Professor X, hand to temple, imagining the future of the Antonov 225. Well, no, he just attended every balloon launch he could. That's true. Man was, <laughs> man was crazy for balloons. It's true. Lo loved a balloon. Loved an could, envelope filled with him. gas. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, so one of the things Blanchard uh, carried on the balloon was a personal letter from George Washington to be delivered to whomever's property the balloon landed on. That's that's a perfect 18th century <laughs> like comedy thing. It's like yeah, you are our one hundred thousandth visitor, ass. Uh, fucking letter from George Washington, just like to whom it may concern. Check out this weird guy. 
<laughs> I Lenchard. was listening. Oh, oh. I was listening to uh, William Tecumseh Sherman's memoirs last night. Mm. Uh, and there's a, a woman, there's a woman whose house was spared because he had stayed with her family in like the 1840s and apparently brought out the book she had him sign that he had given her as a gift. It was like, no, no, see, see, I know William Tecumseh Sherman. Please do not burn down my house. <laughs> <laughs> God, Sherman owned. So Blanchard drifted over the river and landed in Deptford, New Jersey. Oh, that's a shame. It's yeah. that's weird that there's a town named after Deptford too. <laughs> like I've been to our Deptford and uh, uh Don't worry, just... ours isn't much better. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. This was the first time mail was delivered by air in what was the uh I guess it was at that point the United States of America. Hmm. Even if it, you had to address it at that point as guy whose farm this lands on. <laughs> yes. Um so heavy, heavier than air flight becomes a reality in 1903, right? The Wright brothers do the first uh flight at Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, although the actual flight location now is within the municipal boundaries of Kill Devil Hills. Of what? Kill Devil Hills. Kill Devil Hills. Fuck it's on that the, name uh, rules. Yeah, it's on the uh it's on the outer banks. Um, it's too fucking crowded. I recommend if you want to go to the beaches, go farther south. It's a lot less there's a lot less stuff there. You can relax better. Um, He's right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sam's Diner. Uh, yeah. Uh, what else we got? Oh no, it's called the Kill Devil Grill or something. I don't know. Kill Devil ah, Grills. Rules. Yeah, yeah it's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Outer banks are sweet, man. And also, North Carolina has Cape Fear and the mm. Cape Fear River. Oh yeah. And they got um. You know, you can go down. You can go see the Cape Hatteras Lighthouse. Oh, um, sh- oh. Shout out from well, there's your problem. A salute from well, there's your problem to the state of North Carolina. Uh, NASCAR Hall of Fame in Charlotte. You got a lot of you got a lot of cool shit in you. Last time I was down there, we stayed uh, at a at a house at a town called Waves that had a Dairy Queen and a general store. That was it. That's all you need, <laughs> dude. That's all you need. That's all you need. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so the Wright brothers did a couple short, uh, successful flights, right? And then a the wind picked up the right flyer and smashed it against a dune right oh. before they were going to try and do a four mile flight all the way to the town center of Kitty Hawk. Oh, damn. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they boxed it up. They went back home to Dayton, Ohio, but they figured out pretty quickly how to make much better planes that weren't it's, as unstable as the right flyer. It's it's so funny to me that Ohio is on this like first in flight thing cuz we had the Wright brothers and we had a shitload of astronauts, right? Like yeah. the only thing that tells me about Ohio is that everybody who's from there is very keen to leave it and so keen in fact that they're willing to do it in a vertical direction. <laughs> yes. I would rather be in outer space than in this godforsaken hell. <laughs> so, Send me up, baby. So by 1905 they could fly a plane for 30 minutes. Yeah, you know, going around 50 miles an hour, too. Um, There's a bunch of right. Santos Dumont people in the mentions who are mad at us right now. Yes, because uh, the newspapers in Dayton love them and were always reporting on them, but they didn't send photographers. So uh, a bunch of other newspapers, like Scientific American, you know, newspapers in New York, Washington, uh, places like it, newspapers in Europe were like, this is made up. They're not actually doing it. <laughs> Yeah, you're welcome for not speaking German. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Except for you, Alice. Oh. Well, you speak but, German. Well, but eventually yeah. someone took a picture and then everyone believed it. 
Yeah, and, the, and and it still didn't help. They still don't have a Cartier watch named after them, whereas Santos Dumont does. So, True. you know, y- Europeans will be partisan about this shit. Well, you need some kind of exclusive Dayton, Ohio watchmaker. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, the Mallard was faster. No, it fucking wasn't. I, I, I yeah. would totally be on board with some kind of Dayton-based micro brand. Like ooh, until until ooh, they got cancelled. Fucking watch. Fucking Shinola in Detroit making watches <laughs> was like my jam for a while. So, so aviation before World War One was largely confined to fucking around, right? <laughs> as it should have been, and as to which it should return. Yeah. As, as opposed to finding out, I guess. Yeah. Yes. The first attempt to deliver air by uh, deliver mail by <laughs> air deliver air by mail deliver air, air, air by air mail by yeah. <laughs> just a balloon with a stamp on it. I no, mean, it's just an empty a, crate. What is the difference between that and gamer girl bathwater? Not much. <laughs> oh. Yeah, you, you got a letter addressed to, to whom it may concern of George Washington's bathwater. Yeah. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> don't like that. Don't like that. Sheen of oil on top. It. No. <laughs> it's like wow. I've got a wig powder substrate. Stop. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. you, I just you ate the lunch. Of, got a little bit of woody flavor from the teeth, oh. you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm, this tastes like ivory. <laughs> oh, so, and is that is that mm, is that syphilis? <laughs> is there there was a mail was delivered by air. <laughs> First you and your attempts to organize us. <laughs> in 1911, as a stunt, right from Garden City, Long Island, to Mineola, Long Island. That's about six miles. Mm. So it was like the, one of those like machines that you stamp a penny in. Yeah, yeah. Um, they only did it, coins. They only mm. did it once um, for reasons which we'll get into right now. Um, the theory here was they could deliver mail just like they deliver it from a non-stop express train, right? Oh no, I know Dropping how you deliver mail from a long <laughs> from an express train. Out the side? Yeah, they uh, dumped the bag out of the pl- airplane as it passed over the post office at 500 feet. So they... So they just carpet bombed the mail. Okay. <laughs> this is before like the convention this. on cluster munitions, so it's fine. Um, well... Uh, you mentioned cluster munitions, and that's appropriate because the bag burst when it hit the ground. Bunch of the letters flew away. <laughs> oh, I oh, feel. A shame. I feel like this could be a solved problem, though. You just got to give the you just got to give the bag a little parachute, right? And it, <laughs> it could work. This is true. By World War One, the advantage of flight for military use were obvious, right? So planes got bigger. Planes became sort of semi-mass produced. Right, so people could bomb each other and shoot at each other, right? Yeah, right, and observe artillery. Yes. Now, the United States faced an issue, which is they were going to have to enter World War I, but they didn't really have many pilots, certainly not many pilots who were trained in flying long distances, right? So one solution- How far is a long distance in this case? I like, like I don't know, 40 miles? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one solution that was proposed was scheduled airmail, right? Train pilots in all conditions, provide revenue in the process, right? It's a win-win. So this is... Um, yeah, we'll get to that. The source on this is uh, C.V. Kleins. This was uh, uh, an article published in the May 1994 issue of Aviation History. I think there's also an online version. I'll put a link to it. Um, so, <clears throat> day one of airmail. Here we go. 
Colonel E.A. Deeds of the aviation section of the Signal Corps of the U.S. Army offered her, because this is before there was an Army Air Corps, right? Um, offered to run the first airmail service for the post office. The route was going to go from Washington, D.C., uh, uh, Washington, D.C. to Philadelphia to New York City and back once, once a day each way, five days a week. Oh, office hours. Yes. And though, this is because, again, the folks in Europe wanted more pilots with cross-country experience, right? So on March 1st, an agreement was reached to establish the route by May 15th. I want to say, what year was this? Did I not write down the year? You did not. I'm an idiot. I mean, so just, just think about like the, the, the two methods of gaining uh, experience as a pilot at this point, if you were in the U.S. It's Army. It's 1918. Mm. Thank you. Uh, so go and join the French Air Force, go and join the like, Escadron Lafayette, uh, which a lot of black pilots did, because they weren't able to uh, do it in the US Army, right. uh, and get killed in the first 15 minutes, or learn a, like sort of a Soulsborne sort of learning curve, like you, you either die instantly or you learn. Or you do this with mailbags, I guess? Yeah. Anyway, I'm always I'm I'm never gonna pass up an opportunity to talk about Eugene Bullard. After this agreement was reached, no one did anything, right, for mm. a while. Cool. Uh, again, this is May fifteenth, nineteen eighteen, when this service is supposed to start. War's um, gonna be over by November. And there's uh, right. there's there's an issue here. Of course, Washington D.C. doesn't have an airfield. New York City doesn't have an airfield. Philadelphia does have a little airfield called Bustleton Field. Um, I assume that's where Northeast Philly Airport is now. No, it's no, actually it be, it somewhere be. else. Yeah, it's not. It's it's not. I I tried to figure out exactly where it was, and I couldn't figure out other than it's it's in Bustleton. Sure. Um, so, anyway, Major Reuben H. Fleet, who was in charge of pilot <coughs> instruction at the they Army Air uh, Service, uh, invented. Yeah. They hadn't invented normal names yet. Yes. Learned about the proposed route on May 3rd. On May 6th, Secretary of War Newton Baker told Fleet that he would be in charge of making it happen. Oh. He has nine days. That's prompt, I guess. So, Fleet uh, protested this decision. He had no pilots with experience flying cross-country, no planes capable of that range. You know, their best option, the Curtis JN-4D Jenny. That's uh, this plane here. Uh, it had a range of 88 miles. <laughs> oh right, and Baker what, said, what, uh, "You got to figure this out." <laughs> what, what distance is it roughly between DC and Philadelphia? One hundred fifty miles, one hundred and fifty, and then it's eighty miles from Philly to New York, or ninety miles. Excuse me. You got to land in a field halfway through, and then find a way to fuel up your plane. <laughs> oh boy, it's it gets worse. Well, it's gonna get worse. Um, yeah. Yeah, so the, the postmaster general had already issued a press release, right? The flight was going to happen. Oh, yeah. Don't like that. Don't like yeah. being bound to a press release. <laughs> mm. So Fleet called up the Curtis Airplane Corporation, unlike one of those old-timey phones, you know, where you have to hold the receiver, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah. And speak into the thing on the wall. Oh, uh, just, yeah, he, yeah he, had exactly. to, he had to dial 12 for this. Yes. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a long-distance call, which means that it went you know, 14 blocks over. Fleet <laughs> <laughs> called up Curtis Airplane Corporation to modify some of the planes with bigger fuel tanks and to remove the seat for the instructor, right? And add oh, some larger yeah. engines, right? Oh, yeah. 
It's a super Ligaria. Yes. <laughs> and then Curtis made some, or excuse me, Fleet made arrangements to use College Park Airport for the flight, right? College Park Airport is about nine miles north of Washington, D.C. And, and the Postmaster General said, no, can't use that one. It's too far from the post office, right? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so they can't Take use the actual. From the roof. They can't use the actual airport to 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 land and take off the planes. Uh, so he he finds an open field in West Potomac Park, the Polo Grounds, mm. and uh, that's where they're gonna. That's 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 the air the plane staging point, right? Um, they go from that open field to Bustleton Field, and then in New York City. They wind up picking Belmont Park in Long Island, you know, which is a horse racing track, right? Gross. It's still there, of course. It, I mean, it makes sense, right? It's flat, it's straight. This is true, yes. Uh, until you get to that curve. Oh, well, then yeah. you just, like, you, you pull on the stick and you just go round. It's fine. That's a good point, yeah. And these, these are, like, old-timey planes. You know, they take, like, 10 feet to take off, and they take off at, like, 6 miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> So Fleet had the job of choosing four of the six pilots to be assigned to the route, but the other two, who were supposed to pilot the first flights, were political assignments. Hell yes. <laughs> uh -oh. Now that's the graph that I've come to know and love from like <laughs> early 20th century American politics. So Lieutenants James C. Edgerton and George L. Boyle were selected by the post office for their qualifications as pilots. They had a full 60 hours of training and were respectively son of a post office purchasing, purchasing official and son-in-law of Interstate Commerce Commission uh, uh, <laughs> guy, Judge Charles C. McCord. Right, How respectively. convenient for them. Yes. Knights of the sky. <laughs> Neither had any cross-country flight experience and in fact both Don't of them had just, just graduated flight school a few days before. Right? Uh-huh. So, on May 13th, Reuben Fleet took the train up to Hazelhurst Field in Long Island with the pilots to receive the modified biplanes. And he was happy to see that Curtis had delivered the planes in time. But he was not pleased to see that they were delivered in crates, disassembled. Some assembly required. Ikea aviation, baby. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So army mechanics scrambled to build the planes, right? It was less than 72 hours before the first flight. <laughs> Have army mechanics ever not had to scramble? Like, if you're, if you're an army mechanic, have you ever had the time to fix something at your leisure? You're probably a shitty army mechanic. Yeah. 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 By the afternoon of May 14th, two of the planes were ready to go. So fleet took an unmodified Jenny and led Lieutenants Howard P. Culver, who was the most experienced pilot of the pilots there, and Lieutenant Edgerton to Bustleton Field in Philly, right? Which, mm. again, he's in an unmodified Jenny with a range of 88 miles, and is a 90-mile flight. <laughs> How did we not end up with a kind of, like, belief in a Delaware triangle, right? <laughs> That's a good question, Alex. Like the, 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 the Bermuda Triangle exists because like planes crashed in it because people didn't know what they were doing, right? Like, how did we not end up believing that this particular area of like Maryland, Delaware is like not haunted? Oh, it's haunted. 
We'll oh. get to that. <laughs> I see. Yeah, so, actually, the crazy thing is that you may not know this, but Roz is an incarnation of a downed pilot from 1921. You can tell by his grizzled, his grizzled beard that he was a flying man once. That's right. And that that he's come sense. back to warn us of podcast future. Mm. Ooh. <laughs> That's right. It's it's what happens if you get like a pair of old goggles and like the leather hat on me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm a leather daddy, but only for old timey avi- aviation. <laughs> so they flew. They flew from Hazelden Field, which is about here, over to Belmont Park. They refueled because they you need to refuel after the six mile flight or whatever it is. Pathetic. Jesus. Um, it's like a t- tractor engine in these things. <laughs> and in the very late afternoon, they took off and flew in a general southward direction, right? Now, Fleet's plane was the slowest, and he was supposed to be the leader, right? Um, but Edgerton and Culver wound up flying ahead of him and then disappearing into the distance, right? Oh, they got Flight 19. Haunted. 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 All, all, all three of them wound up crashing into different fields and then, having, <laughs> and then having to ask farmers for the directions and buy gas off them and then take off again. This is just a very inefficient way to try and plow no, different bits this. of Virginia. <laughs> Somehow they all made it to Bustleton Field, but they all agreed the planes were basically unflyable, right? They had all, all kinds of problems with them. One of them had a hole in the gas tank. Um, Say his way. How? Uh, I I don't know. I I mean, plugged it with a pencil. (laughs) I know self-sealing gas tanks weren't invented until the thirties, right? But like, what were they making these things out of? Fucking tin? Yeah. Well, I had to come up with basically a whole modification scheme for the plane. Tin and canvas, Alice. In a week. This is suddenly Um, reminding me of the of the. Because I have autism. Because of the World War Two, uh, it's reminding me of the World War Two British Army solution for to transporting large amounts of fuel, which was not to use a jerry can, but to use something called a flimsy, which was literally just like a fucking rubberized canvas sort of balloon that you filled with petrol and just kind of carried around and hoped for the best. Ah, it's just like uh, it's just like milk in a bag in Canada. Exactly. Uh, stop. Don't say the phrase milk in a bag to me again, please. I know it's real. I know it's real. And I know our listeners are going to do the fucking weird shit where someone's either going to A, mail us milk in a bag, or B. No. 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 no don't mail us milk in a bag. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. Don't do that, please. It'll be spoiled mm. by the time it gets here. I remember when we talked about uh, jean jackets, uh, someone did DM me. Uh, a picture of themselves, like just wearing a jean jacket and they're and having glasses. And I was like, thank you. But I'm wow. taken. I'm sorry, ladies. <laughs> all right. Hit up Roz for all your DM thirst trap needs. Also, I'm, so, ch- I'm checking and I am wrong about the flimsy. It was made of tin. It just had um, crimped seams. Oh, that doesn't. Well, uh, ooh. that sounds like a great way to just get a fuel bomb everywhere you go. Absolutely. So, army mechanics at Bustleton Field worked through the night to fix one of the planes, just one of them. Pathetic. And Fleet flew that plane down to the Washington polo fields the next morning, arriving 25 minutes before the mail was scheduled to depart. 
Now, uh, Lieutenant Boyle, who was uh, supposed to fly the first scheduled mail, he took the train. <laughs> Smart. Yeah. So, with a lot of fanfare and pomp and circumstance, and with President Woodrow Wilson, Postmaster General Albert S. Burleson, and Assistant Secretary of the Navy Franklin Delano Roosevelt in attendance. Hey, I've heard of that guy. Yeah. Pilot George L. Boyle took off from West Potomac Park on May 15th, 1918, with instructions to follow the Pennsylvania Railroad tracks to Philadelphia. Because that's the only navigation you can do. Yes. Yeah. They turned over the propellers, and the plane didn't start. They tried again, plane still didn't start. They checked the spark plugs, which were fine. Then they checked the gas tank, which was empty. Well... <laughs> So the dignitaries stood around and waited 45 minutes while a truck brought gasoline in from the Washington Navy Yard. Um, Boyle took off, barely missed the tree line. They say he cleared it by about three feet. <laughs> three feet in a dream, baby. He had 140 pounds of mail to be relieved at a Bustleton airfield by Lieutenant Culver, right? Now, we've discussed a couple times um, on the show, I think most recently in the Armored Trains episode, mm. um, the con that the Philadelphia, Baltimore, and Washington Railroad, which is a Pennsylvania Railroad predecessor, the con they pulled to get into Washington, D.C., um, mm -hmm. which was... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The main line was from Baltimore to Port Tobacco, Maryland, right? And then there was a branch line, I'm in air quotes there, branch line that went from Bowie, Maryland to Washington, D.C., right? Yeah. Boyle made it as far as Bowie, Maryland. Pathetic. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. And, and, then, and then he took a hard right and flew south. How hard? Come <laughs> <along>, on, man. <laughs> along the Philadelphia, Baltimore, and Washington Railroad to Waldorf, Maryland. 20 miles south of where he started. Oh, that's not very good. And he ran out of fuel, and he crash-landed on a farm. Um, he was unharmed, but the expensive and specially modified plane was upside down. Oh. The field, of course, was owned by Assistant Postmaster General Otto Prager. <laughs> <laughs> So the mail was quietly trucked back to Washington, D.C. The plane was repaired and flew back. Culver departed on time and arrived on time at Belmont Park in Washington, in, in New York City, but he didn't have any mail. Um, Edgerton on the reverse flight arrived on time with mail at the polo grounds in D.C., right? So two days later, the Postmaster General insisted against Reuben Fleet's wishes that Boyle be given another chance. So Lieutenant Edgerton flew ahead of him as far north as the Susquehanna River, right? So they're Woo! on... Let me, let me change colors here. It's going to be yellow. He got all the way up to the Susquehanna River. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess it's a little bit farther back here. Um, and then once he got to the Susquehanna River crossing... Uh, Egerton's like, all right, there's no way Boyle's getting lost. He dipped his wings and flew back. He, yeah, there's no way mm -hmm. he can get lost. 
Uh -huh. Royal immediately got lost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I guess I get it, right? Like, there's you don't even have a paradigm for what, like, the Earth is supposed to look like from mm -hmm. above it yet. You have no fucking ability to navigate other than visual reference. And your field There's of no view maps. out of this, yeah, right. and this uh, this field of view out of this thing made of canvas that you can yeah. barely fucking hear yourself think. I I get it, but like, come on, dude, Jesus Christ! Boyle got lost. He somehow managed to make a U turn and followed the eastern shore of the Chesapeake Bay all the way to Cape Charles, Virginia. The oh my god. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. South? Yes. This guy just loved going south. <laughs> you don't have a compass? Um I'm Ads not wait. sure if I'm not sure if these were equipped with a compass or not. One problem with uh compasses in these early aircraft is that they weren't shielded in such a way that the airplane airplane itself would interfere with the Oh my god. The compass, right? I, I'm not sure how that works exactly. Uh but the compasses in these were notoriously unreliable. Also, the plane's bouncing around, you know, it's all like crap. <laughs> anyway, so yeah. Um, so he, got, he gets all the way to Cape Charles, Virginia, 100 miles south of Washington. <laughs> <laughs> the most, what we're developing is the most efficient method of the time to deliver mail from New York City to like rally <laughs> North Carolina. To, 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 to a, a random location. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> so, um, uh, and and I think Reuben Fleet said he would have gone farther, but he ran out of land. <laughs> <laughs> he landed. He ran out of fuel and crash landed in a field. Asked a farmer for directions. Bought some gas off the farmer. Hey, these <laughs> these planes are pretty good at crash landing. Hey, I was about to say yeah. And then and then he he headed north, and this time actually made it. Almost to Bustleton Field. <laughs> oh, progress isn't linear, baby. Yeah. That's what I have to say about that. <laughs> he circled the city for a couple hours trying to pick out the field. Couldn't find it. And crash landed between two trees at the Philadelphia Country Club, which is notably in Gladwin, not Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so that sheared the wings off the plane and busted up the fuselage. Um, I retract but, the thing about these things being good at crash landing. Well, he was unharmed, <gasps> and the mail was trucked at six miles an hour. <laughs> yeah, and the mail was again trucked quietly to Bustleton Field. <laughs> so this this guy, he was one of the ones with like political connections, right? Yes, he was the son of the Interstate Commerce Commissioner. Reasonable. Okay, so that's you get a good reason Christ. to cover this shit up. Yeah. The post office department again asked Fleet for Boyle to be given a third chance. No. <laughs> <laughs> Stop going south. <laughs> this time this time Fleet put his foot down. No. <laughs> <laughs> um that was the first three days of post office slash army air service airmail. Um, and Lieutenant Egner Egerton, the other political appointment, to his credit, flew 52 trips in all weather with only one forced landing due to mechanical issues. Jesus, alright, I guess it really does work at sourcing the like wheat from the chaff, though. I was about to say, yeah. So on August 10th, 1918, the post office took over airmail properly, and that's when the system started expanding. 
right? Sure. Yes. So the USPS started uh, air mail flights with their own aircraft, civilian pilots, USPS owned purpose built airplanes, right? Uh, this seems like a good idea. Could they go uh, north as well as south? Um, <laughs> Well, they actually they got rid of the New York to Washington airmail service pretty oh, quickly because it was slow. Um, Unless mm, compared to a train. Slower than the railroad, yeah. We'll talk about that in a bit. Um, I DC appreciate the, um, the error stamp here. Yes. The, um, this is actually a, a very rare stamp, um, which shows the aircraft that um, Boyle That's flew. Sick. Um, <laughs> because it was, it, was, it was yeah, it was a misprint actually. Yeah. But I a lot of these doing went some out. Top Gun shit. That's a shame. I, I like it just, though. It's just, quite just like bombing people with mail. <laughs> it's quite like futurist in a way. You know, yeah. it's a fucking Daytona is happening here. So the uh, they moved the DC area air mail operations to College Park, where. Where Fleet wanted it in the first place, but then they again they discontinued it. Mm, college um, they, Park is always ready to party, but in yes. this case, to send mail. <laughs> they started scouting out areas where it could compete. The first obvious market was New York City to Chicago, right? And they did several months of Pathfinder flights, right? Which is, you know, we have to we have to just go go scout out where these planes can fly. And at this right. point, World War One, the original rationale for this program to be in existence, ends. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. But but man's fascination with sending things through the air thankfully never ends. About also to say. not thankfully. So New York to Chicago service, start, uh, stopping in Belafonte, Pennsylvania, Cleveland, Bel Ohio. Just Belafonte, guys. It just Belafonte. It's just Belafonte, Ross. Well, it sucks. You gotta Cleveland, say as Ohio. few vowels as possible in the name yeah. of a of a Pennsylvania town. I find. Yeah, uh, if 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 it looks, yeah, just just say it the way it's pronounced, except for Schuylkill, and then just make up your own rules. Yes, uh, Brian, Ohio, and then on to Chicago. That was Brian, uh, Ohio. Brian, Ohio. Ohio. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they also stopped by yeah. Brett's house. That's the street fight, <laughs> street fight radio section of the airmail. Yeah, street yeah. fight airmail. Um. So the New York to Chicago route was uh, started by December 1918. Transcontinental air service was figured out by 1920, but the airmail still only traveled by air during the day, right? Uh, because you couldn't fly at night because you, you couldn't see anything, right? Mm. So a lot of times the way this would work is, you know, the, the, the airmail would go by air during the day and then be put on a train overnight. And then the, when the day, when it was daytime again, seems, it got took off the train and it would uh, go back on the plane. It's just like adding steps to add steps. Mm. It's very slightly faster. Uh, okay. Well, yeah. No. Th this is clearly worth me using a special stamp and putting it on a special cool boarded envelope. I mean, special stamps yes. are cool as hell. I like an airmail envelope. The like, um, yeah. a like red and blue sort of striped thing. I think that looks neat. Yeah. Stamps are cool, man. Hmm. This and is a, stamps, an, an, an so official well, your problem recommendation. Collect stamps, become a philatelist. Yeah, so the uh, uh, attempts to really strictly adhere to the schedule were foiled by a wildcat pilot strike in July 1919. Awesome. Uh, they were Fuck, that's an them. excellent series of words. <laughs> yeah, yes. hell yeah. <laughs> they, were, uh, they, 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 they were forcing them to fly in horrible weather, and the pilots were just like, we're fucking being killed out here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So 
after that, airmail was only trapped, only delivered in fair weather, right? Mm. Um, but in the meantime, they slowly improved infrastructure for air, air, air mail, right? Um, so you could fly at night once they installed big light towers along the route, right? They oh, also put like a lighthouse or a light yes, ship. Yes, or like the um, oh, that's cool. Or like the the big the the big uh, lanterns, the uh, the the fires in Lord of the Rings, you know. Mm. So it's not sure. like marking an airfield or anything. It's just like fly towards this one, then fly towards this one. Kind yes, of thing. there was uh, there was like a a series of colorations, I believe, uh, which um, would would show you if this is an intermediate point or if this is a uh, an airfield, and it mm, would blink in Morse code to tell you which what. Uh, yeah, it would oh, break in Morse sick, code dude. to tell you which one it was. I mean, like, uh, Beacons still do this, I want to say VOR ones, but like, yeah, no, having to do that shit in your head, like, freezing, yes. uh, bouncing, fuck well, that. I regret to inform you, I'll be right back. It's going uh, without me. Actually, yeah, no, that's... I, I, I'm gonna grab a backup beer then. Yeah, I'm gonna smart. grab a third beer, you know what, edit this shit out, because I'm not, ho I'm not helming this by myself. Okay, alright, fine, I'll poop my pants. What do you want to talk about, Alice? Alice? No, just leave? Alright, I'll poop. Hi, it's Justin. Uh, so this is a commercial for the podcast that you're already listening to. Uh, people are annoyed by these, so let me get to the point. We have this thing called Patreon, right? The deal is, you give us two bucks a month, and we give you an extra episode once a month. Uh, sometimes it's a little inconsistent, but, you know, it's two bucks, you get what you pay for. Um, it also gets you our full back catalog of bonus episodes, so you can learn about exciting topics like guns, pickup trucks, or pickup trucks with guns on them. The money we raise through Patreon goes to making sure that the only ad you hear on this podcast is this one. Anyway, that's something to consider if you have two bucks to spare each month. Uh, join at patreon.com forward slash WTYP pod. Do it if you want. Or don't. It's your decision, and we respect that. Back to the show. Do, 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 do. Aloha. Aloha. We are a beer-loving podcast, and only one of us is supposed to feel bad about it. Well, mm. I mean, it is Ash Wednesday. That's right. Uh, what, what, is the, what is that? Like, I don't remember my Catholic is very well. What does this mean? Oh, Ash Wednesday is the one when you get the palms. Oh, yeah, you gotta have the little, like, thing smudged on you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, know, you get the thing smudged on you. I was making a joke about the palms. Um, <laughs> yeah. The, um... Yeah, it's uh, it is um, what it's the one of the two most attended uh, masses. Really, the other one being Palm Sunday. Gorgeous, you'd, gorgeous girls have gorgeous, gorgeous IBS. You'd think um, Christmas, like midnight, your your midnight mass, because my mom used to love midnight mass. No, um, but no. Palm Sunday and Ash Wednesday are the most attended because they give you a thing. Ah, uh, people—that's the—that's that, the lesson for the modern church: is you got to give people a thing. Um, what are you guys talking about? Uh, we're Ash talking Wednesday. about Catholicism. It is Ash Wednesday. Yes, uh, I used—I used to do that. <laughs> mm. 
All right, so we're just talking about the oh, Ross, light towers. I made you fast knots. What? I made you fast knots. I don't know what that is. You Jesus, are... this beer keeps fucking like the head of Foss it keeps expanding are, are out through the, Roz. the the, the fucking neck of the bottle. It's obscene. What are you drinking? Uh, I'm drinking a, a Hobson's Brewery Company Shropstar Pale Ale. But the problem is with all of these, I found. Is that opening them? The head ex- like they're so overcarbonated that the yep. head just keeps expanding, and it's done this like I've drank this off of here like three or four times, and it keeps coming. It looks fucking uh, penile as hell. Let me say, hmm. that could be a a problem with the beer, or a problem with how they stored the beer. Yeah, There's all kinds of things that can cause that. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. so if, if if you know, write in. Also, sorry to God for drinking beer. But it tastes good. The um, I also wanted to point out that Brian Ohio here does have a Y, like Brian from Street Fight. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, okay, they installed. We talked about the light towers. They installed big concrete arrows for guidance during the day. Right. Ah, that's um, cool. You know they do that with helicopters it. still. Like particularly in Los Angeles, that's the thing because the the police helicopters will get lost otherwise. So oh they just God. have like reference things on like painted on the roofs of buildings. Like this is you know such and such a grid square, so that you don't get lost and so you know where to reference things. That's what happens when your entire city is one story bungalows. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> also reminding me of the guy, I'm gonna misremember what cities these are, but the guy who is like, lives under the approach to Cleveland Airport and painted Welcome yes. to Cincinnati on his oh, roof. Really yes. Yeah. <laughs> Just knowing that you're a cause of anxiety in the world. <laughs> yes. Just putting that out into the fucking ether is very funny. So, planes became more sophisticated, more reliable, they were faster. By 1924, it only took 32 hours to ship a letter from San Francisco to New York City, and only 34 hours to go the other way. Right? Wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I joke, but that's fucking like impressive that's for the time. Right? Pretty it's like, good, yeah. And that was that was again. I think about all the stops they're making along the way to refuel and crap. Yeah. Uh, it sort of oh, ran true. like the Pony Express, you know, because the plane would land, they transfer the mail, that plane would fuel up, the other plane would take off, you repeat over and over again. Really like working those planes to the point of destruction. Yes. Um, but this was a problem, which is that government was doing something well. <laughs> <laughs> so the, both, both, uh, both political parties at this point were pretty fiscally conservative, right? Um, you know, both Calvin Coolidge and John W. Davis, Republican and Democrat, respectively, campaigned on small government, limited regulation, so on and so forth. Silent um, cow, baby. Yeah. And then Senator Robert N. LaFollette, who was uh, the progressive slash socialist slash farmer labor uh, candidate. Minnesota, you son of a bitch. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, he campaigned on the opposite of that, and he, he won 13 electoral votes in Wisconsin. That was it. But Coolidge took the big prize. And Republican Congress soon went about directing the post office to contract out airmail routes, as well as other measures that would explode the economy in a couple of years, right? Yeah, what if we made this all more speculative? Yes. What if we made this all based on, like, hokum and bullshit? Uh, this is not related at all to Web3 or the metaverse or anything like that. 
No, what if instead of the government doing it, uh, some guys with a plane did it? Yeah, what if that? So contracting out airmail service, it was reasoned, right, would be a cheap and easy way to rapidly build out the air transportation network, right? Oh, you think um, it's going to be like railroads, you know? You're going to give it to like four guys in waistcoats and watch fobs, and they're going to obtain the right of way by hook or by crook and mostly by crook, and then you can come in and like it makes sense. Ah, yes. We're going to get 500 Chinese guys to dynamite through this cloud. Yeah. <laughs> and then we're going to deport all of them and it's going to work perfectly. Exactly. Well, in practice, it was tough to find people to run the routes, right? Because a lot of airlines were just a guy with a plane. <laughs> weird Bill is weird not Bill himself is an airline. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Subsidies for moving the mail were extremely high, about $3 per pound per thousand miles, right? Jesus. So it was uneconomical to haul passengers, which is one of the intentions of this legislation, is we'd have passenger sure. air travel as well, but you need to charge about $500 a seat to break even. Can't imagine that. That's $519.20s too. <laughs> okay, yeah, point taken. That, I mean, that's kind of how much passenger air travel should kind of cost now, if we're factoring in the climate, right? This is true, yeah. Now this, this uh, structure incentivized the airlines to move as much mail as possible, right? The more mail you move, the more money you get. And the subsidy was higher than the postage. So naturally, they all found buddies in the junk mail business. Yes, mailing nothing <laughs> to nobody for no reason. And they shipped large quantities of junk mail by air and then split the profits. Right? This is a truly American story. <laughs> yes. I have nothing but admiration. Or they'd artificially, ar- artificially weigh down the mail. Or they shipped <laughs> bulky objects by mail. One airline was fond of mailing a cast iron stove back and forth. <laughs> Yeah, open my junk mail. I'm like, honey, it's bricks again. <laughs> there was a there was a situation like that in um, I want to say Butte, Montana. Um, the 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 Anaconda Butte and something railroad wound up in a situation where um, the post office was giving them a massive subsidy for uh, the mail service, and one of uh, one of the directors took that opportunity to mail a building. <laughs> One brick at a time. <laughs> I I prefer to think of it intact, like throwing some kind of a massive uh, thing of packing sheets over it and putting a single stamp on the door. Ah, it's a it's a whole new meeting for building envelope. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Did we lose Liam? I think so. I think he may be pooping right now. Oh. Nonetheless, we we yep. continue. Viavanti. Yeah. Now, despite this uh, windfall profits, uh, these same aircraft operators usually undercapitalized and operating on low margins, right? They're unwilling or unable to afford new aircraft and equipment, so the airmail remained slow, expensive, and uncompetitive with uh, railroads, right? It's a joke, and also, like, you have to figure a bunch of these pilots are getting killed, right? Oh, yeah. All, all the time. Sorry, I was, I uh, just got a phone call telling me I didn't get a job. Oh, um, well. Sorry they, to hear they, about that. They, they did the whole, like, we really liked you, and I'm just like, not enough. Nah, apparently not that much. I'm, I, I'm putting the call out here now. Hire Liam. Hire yeah. Liam for your job. Thanks, thanks, guys. Yeah, I need to... Uh, health insurance beyond what we have. 
um, mm. because my health insurance blows ass and uh, I don't know. Just frustrated, but I'm good. Uh, I'm sorry I've been in and out. I got, uh, that's I've fine. Been missing that's calls. fine. Um, all right. Where are we? I apologize. We We're are talking on. about mailing cast iron stoves back and forth in order yes, to own that, the government. In terms yes. of making things heavier than air flight, that's a quick way to do it. I will say that. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, there's over 45 airlines maintaining the skeletal system of airmail routes. And, you know, this is like most fiscally conservative government uh, policies. The privatization of airmail was expensive, inefficient, rife with corruption and just generally didn't work very well. I, it's important to note at this point, there are absolutely no parallels to anything else here. <laughs> <laughs> so this this next slide is kind of an aside, but I think it does uh, demonstrate sort of the uh, the airmail environment, the air freight environment, and what uh, the railroads can do. Yeah. Shout out to the guys. The, 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 me and the boys after me and COVID. The boys. Yeah, me, me and the boys. the boys after COVID right here with Pennsylvania <laughs> Railroad 460. Charles Lindbergh, hero oh, of the United States and Nazi, and killed his um, own kid. He was he was like the biggest, like the most famous American other than the president for like. Wait a damn yes. second! Wait a damn second! This is this is the Lindbergh engine, right? Yes. That's what we're going to talk about. Oh, I was so excited! I knew what the Lindbergh engine was. <laughs> there, there, there is a halfway plausible um, alternative history by Philip Roth, which posits him like, becoming yeah, president it's a terrific of the U.S. Book, the plot against okay. America. Highly recommend it. Uh, the E6 is a more beautiful locomotive than anything the New York Central could have ever dreamt up, and I will be hearing no criticisms. I'm You're a big insane. fan of the E6. You're um, insane. Beautiful locomotive. E6 is a good looking one, yeah. Both yeah. of you are insane. You both have train madness. <laughs> I am backing against the door. I have like a revolver in my hand. <laughs> I, I can't trust either of you anymore. Oh, 460 is a beaut too. You can go yeah. see her. Yeah, it's in, it's, uh, in the Railroad Museum of Pennsylvania. Um, so anyway, yeah, Charles Lindbergh flew the Spirit of St. Louis from New York City to Paris nonstop on May 27th, 1927. Right. Uh, you know, say he's the first guy to fly across the ocean. Uh, actually, not the first guy to fly across the ocean, but the first guy to fly from New York City to Paris. Because a couple yeah. of people had flown from like St. John, Newfoundland to Dublin. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and he flew around Europe for a while. He met all these tremendous crowds. He was awarded a bunch of distinguished uh, national awards. Came back to the United States, aboard the USS Memphis. Create sing, almost single-handedly created the sort of mythology of the pilot as a modern knight of the sky. Yes. You know, on June 11th, he arrived at the Washington Navy Yard. He was awarded a distinguished flying cross by Coolidge, blah, 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 blah. I don't care. Um, didn't, <laughs> didn't invest in childcare very much. Yes. But it was, uh, it was a big, big media event, right? And all the newsreel companies wanted to be the first to get their newsreels the theaters in New York City. And by this point, newsreel companies generally chartered flights for this purpose. But Universal International Newsreel, which is, I think, a Randolph Hearst company, um, they decided to pull a stunt. <laughs> I, I love, love how at, at, love at, any, at any point in the 20th century, <laughs> I guess it's still true now, but so few people do it, you could just sit down and you could open your pocket watch, and you could look at the time, and you could say, okay, 
let's do some silly bullshit. Yes. <laughs> I mean, what is this entire endeavor but silly bullshit? What, what yes. indeed? You're getting carpet bombed with mail. Like, mm. at some point, things are not going well for you. <laughs> I thought you meant the podcast. No, I get carpet bombed with mail when I open the goddamn P.O. box. <laughs> Send me my shit, Liam. You know what? No, I'm not gonna. It's mine now. Uh. So while the rest of the newsreel companies were racing to the airport, to the probably College Park Airport, to mm-hmm. uh, get, the, get the newsreels onto planes, um, UI's film guys arrived at Washington Union Station by car. They ran through the concourse and onto the, the train on track eight, right? And this was the, the Pennsylvania Railroad had provided a train composed of one baggage express car and one coach and E6 Atlantic type uh, number 460. That's this, the locomotive. This is the thing I'll say about the Pennsylvania Railroad, right? If you insult and the one, E6, we're going to fight. No, no, no. no. This, is, this is one thing I'll say in its favor compared to the New York Central is that the Pennsylvania Railroad never saw an opportunity to do some dumb shit it didn't like. <laughs> yes, right? Oh, this this was a railroad that was incorporated with the word send it. Like. <laughs> <laughs> so the. um. So the train set off, it reached 95 miles an hour before it left the city limits. See? Yeah. In <laughs> Delaware, they clocked it at 115 miles an hour. It only slowed <laughs> down for curves and tunnels. Um, the train only made one stop because after taking on water at speed from a track pan, the water scoop in the tender broke. So they had to stop in Wilmington for water. <laughs> That's incredible. So, Send it. 460 and the Lindbergh special, as it was called, reached Manhattan transfer in two hours and 50 minutes, which is about the same schedule as the fastest Acela Express today. Um, <laughs> I hate this country. Progress. <laughs> yes. At one point, a plane chartered by a rival newsreel company paced the train and then sped off into the distance after dipping its wings, right? Um, the plane had made it there quicker. But International Universal had the last laugh. The baggage express car behind 460 was no ordinary baggage express car. It was a mobile darkroom and film editing studio car. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Fuck the rules. So they, they took the newsreel, they developed the film en route, they edited the film, they installed all the silent movie, you know, cards and all that crap, and, um, and they duplicated it into 10 reels. So despite arriving in New York City later than the chartered planes, International Universal's newsreels were in New York theaters a full hour before the competition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in the 20s, chartered air freight, air freight could... Um, compete with the railroads in extraordinary circumstances, but where does that leave, you know, scheduled airmail, right? It was still kind of, you know, this is kind of a grift, right? There's not mm-hmm. a lot of stuff that needs to move that quickly at this point. Um, it's only economical over long distances, you know, and the airlines are undercapitalized, they're unreliable, you know, the airplanes are unreliable, um, you know, and this is, it's not a great situation for airmail, 
because it's such a niche market at this point. Yeah, and the so, only thing that would really like save chartered air freight, I mean, a scheduled airmail at this point, would be either massive governmental intervention or everybody in the country somehow believing that they have access to like a small parcel of something they've ordered the previous day. Yes. Luckily, this will never happen. <sighs> but one man came to the rescue. Oh no. Herbert Hoover. Oh. Herbert Hoover has never come to anybody's rescue. What a bastard. This is an anti-Hoover podcast. Yes. Yeah. Hoover's postmaster general, William Folger Brown, wanted to increase the efficiency of the private airmail system. So he retained a guy who had been assistant secretary of commerce for aeronautics named William McCracken Jr., who's now a private lawyer at this point. Uh, he, 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 they two plotted together to figure out how do we make this more efficient, right? Mm. And the idea was very simple. If you have large airlines, they can deliver mail cheaper with bigger, newer, and more reliable planes. Ah, uh, you're doing fucking British, uh, British railway stuff in you're like a weirder timeline where you're like, first we privatize it, and then we consolidate it. But yeah, it's uh, it's even um, it, it was even you know the big four, um, <sighs> the consolidation in the end. Um, but yeah, so McCracken and Brown gathered the larger airlines together for what became known as the spoils conferences, right? To divvy up cool. routes and rates and structure what was to become the Airmail Act of 1930. And design um, a shitload of really cool posters. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, now these large airlines didn't really exist yet, but this is sort of where the structure was determined and how, who was going to buy what, so on and so forth, right? So I, I think one, one that's notable, of course, William Boeing of Boeing Aircraft and Frederick Rencher of Pratt & Whitney Right. Boo! <laughs> you sons of bitches. <laughs> they initiate a, a series of hostile takeovers even before the spoils conference to create a full transatlantic airline, which is also fully integrated with the aircraft manufacturing business called um, United Aircraft and Transportation Company. Right. And that was uh, that was Boeing, Boeing Aircraft, Sikorsky Aircraft. Yeah, Brad they're Whitney. breaking your guitar yeah. from that day to this. Yes. <laughs> if it, losing your luggage, fucking yes. getting you circling over Newark Airport for no reason for <laughs> uh, for two extra hours. Yeah. This is where it all began. It's United Airlines. Well, I I, I mean, I'm still a customer, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, you can't you can't not be. I guess. I'm not gonna fly a low cost airline. That's that's um. Don't hmm. do it. it do I, my, my, what are you, what are my, you not a podcaster? My dignity's worth more than that. <laughs> no, it isn't. But it it, it it's not. But uh, yeah. still, don't fly Spirit. Yeah. So um, yeah. So they they created that was the most ambitious uh, organization. It was a full vertically integrated monopoly. Uh, Brown didn't like this because it happened before the Airmail Act and not after when it was supposed to happen, but. The act still passed, and Brown's consolidation plan went forward. So, twenty-four of the twenty-seven airmail contracts at this point were in charge of just or in control of just three airlines, which were United Aircraft and Transportation, right? Um, the Transcontinental and Western Airline, uh, TWA, uh, T -T TWA, oh, yes, yeah. 
and American Airways, right? Mm. Ignore that it says airlines down here. That'll be relevant later. Um, <laughs> TWNA, uh, Transcontinental and Western, had actually been formed by Brown, just strong arming a bunch of airlines that didn't want to merge into merging. Now kiss. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was a, actually a fun aside here. Uh, Transcontinental Airways or airlines, or no, it was Transcontinental Air Transportation had the first transcontinental route, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it only flew during the day. And in the night, you would transfer to a train. Oh, okay. And that then, sounds like cheating. And then when you woke up, you get back on the plane. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, and that, that was why, um, you know, their, their acronym was TAT. And a lot of people said uh, TAT stands for take a train. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the Airmail Act also had another provision, which is contracts would be based on space for mail on the planes rather than by item or by weight of mail carried, right? So airlines would now be more incentivized to carry passengers rather than create mail and transport it. Rather um, than a shitload of ovens. Yes. Bricks, well, things of this nature. So this consolidation plan worked pretty good. It halved airmail costs for mile, it increased reliability. These bigger companies were able to invest in better aircraft, right? Uh, better pilots, better training, more ground-based infrastructure, and you even have stuff like uh, uh, radio beacons at this point for like mm. instrument flying, right? It also really pissed a lot of people off who owned smaller airlines. <laughs> well, there's at least like 24 of them, right? Yeah. <laughs> so... Charles Townsend Luddington and Amelia Earhart started Luddington Airline in 1929 to run hourly passenger flights between Camden Central Airport, which is right by where the, uh, that's Camden, New Jersey, right by where the, uh, the shopping center with the restaurant equippers and the Harbor Freight is, right? <laughs> um, they flew between there and Newark, New Jersey, right? Which that airport's still in the same spot. and. Washington Airport, which is now where the Pentagon is, um, also had a really cool poster. Look at the fucking lines on this shit. I'm oh, so yeah, into that's it. really cool. This is interesting because uh, Ludington was, um, as far as I can tell, the the sort of proper Philadelphia airline. Mm. Um, you know, this this was the airline run by the same Philadelphia Protestants running the Pennsylvania Railroad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, um. You know, they were going to run hourly flights, right? Every hour on the hour, as the poster says. Um, and they had great service, frequent service, strong profits, even in the Depression. They couldn't get a mail contract, right? Even after they significantly underbid, you know, the current owner of the contract, which was Eastern Air Transport, right? Blatant favoritism <laughs> and corruption. Mm-hmm. Well, they bid, Ludington bid 25 cents a mile. In Eastern Air Transport bid 89 cents a mile. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this was uh, the, the, the uh, Ludington's bid probably would have lost money, but it was uh, based on Eugene Vidal's. Uh, Eugene Vidal was father of Gore Vidal and a, um, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, uh, executive on Ludington. He believed airmail was going to get so big that 25 cents a mile will we'll be making that money back in like a you year do it or a- so. 
Yeah, you do it as a loss, loss leader. leader. It's right. a loss leader and the show of confidence in the airmail system, right? Um, but yeah, they couldn't get the contract, and Eastern Air Transport subsequently bankrupted Luddington and acquired its assets in 1933, right? You motherfuckers. Which is, motherfuckers. again, is, uh, all according to Brown's plan, right? Small Another airlines. Another done to the people of Philadelphia. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, small airlines would be shut out, swallowed up by bigger ones. Guys, I think I might be a libertarian now. <laughs> so, well, I, 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 I don't know. Think the libertarians liked Hoover, you know. I mm, yeah, no. small government, small government, big business. The <laughs> <laughs> reporter for William Randolph Hearst heard the story while talking to an ex uh, Ludington uh, executive. He investigated it further, and when he published it, Senator Hugo Black of Alabama took interest. Uh-oh. Right. Oh boy. <laughs> so, oh no. <laughs> Interstate Commerce Commission hearings and a special Senate committee that was controlled by Democrats investigating, you know, essentially investigating the Republican Hoover administration, um, managed to find not very much uh, actual substantiated evidence of fraud or collusion, right? Actually, by this point, Hugo Black, uh, he, he, he disassociated from the Klan in 1925. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, he he was anti-Catholic. He resigned from the Klan in 1925 because he gets appointed to the Supreme Court for being a tremendously loyal New Dealer in 37. They threw uh, him out of the Klan because of his last name. Yeah, they were just like no blacks allowed, literally, figuratively. <laughs> um. So, uh, other than the two contracts for the two transcontinental lines awarded to TWA and American Airways, right? Um, but it was an election year, right? Mm. Democrats felt they really needed to play this thing up. So they held hearings. They called up McCracken, the lawyer from before, right? Brought up to testify his capacity as an airline lawyer. And McCracken cited attorney client privilege and refused to testify. And, and then shut also shut the fuck up Friday. Shut the fuck mm. up Friday. Yeah. Also allowed one of his clients to remove and destroy documents, which were under subpoena. You're not supposed to do that. Uh, I know Alice, do that. Alice probably knows that better than I do, but it's, uh, it, it's I, it, that's all contained. Yes, <laughs> I think it was a guy. I think it was a guy from Northwest Airlines. I, I would say that is still company. contained within the provisions of "Shut the fuck up, Friday." And is he's, burning he's subpoenaed said, documents. Well, he said it was a personal document, and should Pers- yeah. What, what are you going to do? Burn it? Fuck <laughs> off! Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, we're talking about. Northwest Airlines of D.B. Cooper fame, right? Uh, yeah, it was a long time later, though. This is... Uh, North- yeah, no, yes, Roz, D.B. Yeah. Cooper wasn't in the 30s. <laughs> well, you know, okay. Well, he might have been alive in the 30s. I just want to make sure we don't confuse our listeners. Sorry, listeners. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> Where was D.B. Cooper born, would you say? Well, we don't know, right? I mean... Well, no, you uh, got to have an 40s? idea of, like, roughly... You think so? Was he, like, so. in his 40s? We're gonna fucking solve this D.B. Cooper shit, I feel. I, I always loved the idea of, uh, you know, once the, like we, we branch out into true crime and working ass backwards, we solve all the true crimes. That's right. Stay sexy and don't get murdered. Oh, oh I hate yeah, true crime yep, we'd shit. Do a, we'd, do a, we'd do a true crime podcast where, where we... We make we it as boring of- as possible and, and just solve <laughs> I, everything. I'll, remove the mystique, really ruin the lives of uh, women everywhere. 
<laughs> I, I, you know what? I, I've been doing that for a while. Yeah, hard to say. I understand that, like, you know what? I don't understand true crime podcasts, but I guess people listen to this, which is sort I mean, of in the it, same It's exciting vein, to I feel guess. like you might get murdered and to, like, give yourself an anxiety disorder. I got mine for free, but, yeah, like, same. it is exhilarating, so I guess I understand. I mean, well, that's, what auto, that's what autoerotic asphyxiation is for. Mm. Our, our, um, or in his our, case, autorosic asphyxiation. Our, our, um, our podcast does not describe you being brutally murdered by a, a, a person, but rather the a system. senseless, unseeing corporation. Sure. Yeah, what, yes. what, what we're doing is true crime, but for social murder. Exactly. Oh, oh, that's spicy. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, stay, stay sexy and don't get social murdered. So. Um, McCracken was tried for contempt of Congress and convicted, and after a couple years of appeals, he spent 10 days in jail. Oh. <laughs> Feels like it would have just been easier to go to jail. Yeah. And this, along with a couple of economic problems that happened near the end of Hoover's administration. I've heard um, of these. Yeah. 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 Was, was pretty enough, well known from yeah. what I understand. <laughs> was enough for Hoover to lose, right? So, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, Assistant uh, Secretary to the Navy, was elected. Yeah, Bill. Fucking he, pink social democrat ass. We could have had corrupt Huey Long communism in America. Every single one of you listening in the United States would, to this day, have a no-show job which paid obscene amounts of money that like, was owned by one of Huey Long the 19th's cousins. There would be 27 Supreme Court justices who would pass All everything you had ever wanted, all named long. I did really like that point you made, Alice, uh, some time ago, mm. which was that uh, Roosevelt basically did just enough to forestall revolution. Yeah, that was that was that was his thing, right? That was the thing. You have to hold the United States together, and we know by this point that you should not try and hold the United States together because it's a terrible, benighted nation. Um, and the way that you do that is you give people just enough, and it still didn't stop the capitalists from trying to fucking assassinate him. Oh, but yeah. like, um, <sighs> I mean, I mean, I think if FDR had lived a uh, 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 longer, you would have had a different situation, just because. You know, during during World War Two, he and Stalin got along like a house on fire. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> the, point, the point the point of the Yorkshire conference. De Gaulle, which I learned. Yeah, uh, what, what where, like, he and Stalin were like just hanging out and freezing out Churchill, and Churchill was just getting furious. <laughs> there was a serious possibility that uh, having delivered. You know, uh, victory and peace. He, he could have, I don't know, done something more intense, but he never did uh, yeah. because he died. So unfortunately, because um, he was killed by the CIA. Yes, guess the CIA didn't exist then because he was killed the by the OSS. Wild yeah. Bill Donovan personally shot. FDR. Um, <laughs> Crazy how no one talks about this. Of you, course, you, you should you should start the, uh, believing this. Yeah. They hit him with the polio gun. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah, he he was he was walking up until like the last days of the war, and then that is how it happened. Yeah. Famously, of course, so, took him out. Yeah, FDR was elected. He and Postmaster General James A. Farley of the Farley Post Office in New York oh, City, New fame. York City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
now now uh now part of penn station yeah um, everything also eventually was one part point of penn station headquarters of the strategic homeland division oh i don't know what that is I'm I'm referencing a Tom Clancy game called oh, The Division. Great, it's, great it's, well, could have been a great game. Yeah, could have been had its so moments. They, mm. they decided that the despite the fact that much of the Black Commission's findings were a lot of hot air, the scandal ah. was big enough <laughs> and bad enough that they needed to do something to show that they were doing something. Yes, something yes. must be seen to be done. Yes. Well, Roosevelt said, all right, we'll cancel all existing airmail contracts as quickly as possible and reaward them, right? On June 1st, 1934. Now, this is in February of the same year, February 9th, right? Roosevelt and Farley needed to come up with an interim solution. Secretary of War George H. Dern mentioned the Army Air Corps could probably do it, right? Ah, uh, we're back to square one. Yeah. So Dern hadn't actually asked anyone if they could actually do that, but he had a meeting with the chief of the Air Corps, Major General Benjamin Fowlis. Fowlis? I like Fowlis. I like Fowlis. I'm going with Fowlis. Fowlis mentioned offhandedly that, yeah, we could probably be ready in about a week or ten days. Now what Fowlis had assumed here was that the executive order to hand over the mail contracts would take a while to actually come down, and they could be ready about a week or ten days after that, and that most of the mail would, you know, just go by train anyway, right? You know, this is... We don't yeah, need, it would we, be the same kind of, like, silly bullshit as the first time the Army Air Corps or its predecessors had tried to do this. So after this meeting, he directed his staff to form a plan to carry the mail, then realized he probably ought to notify Chief of Staff General Douglas MacArthur about this development, right? Uh, oh no. As he was about to do that, a very angry General Douglas MacArthur burst into his office, demanding Corn to know pipe first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> demanding to know more about what he had just heard from a reporter, which was that Roosevelt had just canceled all the airmail contracts, and that on February 19th, 10 days from now, the Army Air Corps would handle all the mail. And then MacArthur, <laughs> uh, to demonstrate his anger, shot a child. That probably <laughs> ate that child. Th there are some cool photos of like specimen envelopes that they intended to deliver first using this, where it's like, there's one of them with the, the cool Army Air Corps roundel on it, uh, you know, the dot and the star, yeah, with yeah. the Army delivers the mail, and it's like, ah, I love Rooseveltian social <laughs> democracy. This is uh this is this is Fulois here. Um mm. the guy, not the planes. Um Yeah, he was actually a plane. Yeah. So despite That's why the, they gave him that job, he looked so much like mm. a plane. Yeah, there you go. So, you know, despite the waste in the private airmail system, right, the economics had forced airlines to improve technology, right? Your airmail planes, they're large, they're fast, they can fly in all weather conditions, right? They had sophisticated instruments for flying in low visibility and radio for communication, right? The pilots were experienced. They'd flown all the routes many, many times over. And the airmail schedules required flights in all weather at all times. And that was, you know, a routine achievement, right? Hmm. The Army Air Corps did not have those things. No, you see, they have, like, <laughs> a sort of a, a, a prototype fighter and a prototype, like... 
I guess, yeah. bomber here. <laughs> yes, I, I mean, they were recovering from years of systemic underfunding by the Coolidge and Hoover administrations. They had planes, which were mostly trainers and fighters, right? They had pilots who only trained in daylight, in clear weather, close to their air bases. Love the idea of resurrecting this program and you get your mail via F-35. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's about as reliable as this is. I can't believe it didn't work. <laughs> yeah, your mail, your Amazon package has not arrived because it rained in an airbase in Guam, and that <laughs> fucked up the like sensors on a fucking B two Spirit, which has now crashed and incinerated your package. Your package. We arrives. apologize for the inconvenience. <laughs> your package arrives on a Stinger missile with the, with the warhead prompt, replaced that, by the package. That is prompt <laughs> delivery. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I guess it beats my other fun mail delivery system, which is the surface launch thing of rocket mail. Rocket mail. No. Yes. I I love rocket mail. Rocket mail only exists in stamps commemorating it now, but the idea was much as you would think. It was kind of the Navy's attempt. Around about the first at the time the first uh instance of the army trying to get into mail happened, the navy just decided, hey, what if we just fired rockets full of mail at cities? Intercontinental ballistic mail. Exactly. Isn't, uh, is, it Doesn't Elon Musk want to use the starship for that crap? God like, yeah, that whole, whole like thing, like, oh, we're gonna be able, you'll be able to go from anywhere to anywhere in 45 Shut minutes. The, 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 thing about, the thing about Elon Musk is that he <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I'm not getting bleeped for once. This is a new development. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, 250 pilots were assigned to the Army Air Corps Mail Operation, the AACMO. Wow, that Ac is a big ass, the, the, gender, the, the gender reaffirming. <laughs> gender affirming, I should say. Not reaffirming. Mm. No, stay awake, motherfucker. Yes. I will do. I will do to you what the what the Wehrmacht did, and I will take off your eyelids. Oh my god! <laughs> Jesus, fantastic! Oh, One hundred forty yeah. of these pilots had less than two years of experience. You're actually threatening a Polish man, a, a POC, with uh, <laughs> a, pop, a, 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 a pop, a pop, yeah, a person of Polish experience with yes, torture right now, the Pope. The Pope, yeah, <laughs> his, his Holiness the Pope, Ross. I mean, you can't no, say that, that John that, like, Paul II. Yeah, John no, Paul II I'm was a person of be... Polish experience. Ross, yeah. you could be Pope. I believe in you. You'd have I'd to be get a pretty it by good Pope. Yeah, you wouldn't be half bad, and uh, we'd get it by. You could get it by acclamation, right? You'd point, yeah. you'd be the kind of Pope. You'd be like the John Paul first kind of Pope who just gets pushed down the stairs a weekend. Listen, I wouldn't push it down. I the stairs, just want to say, any Cardinals listening to this podcast. Uh, vote for me. It would Pope. be funny. It would be funny. Come on. Your eminences, have you considered Justin Rosniak? <laughs> and if whoever does do it, they're a pussy. That's right. That's true. That's true. Oh, now they can't back down. Um, I mean, listen, if, if fucking Zelensky can become president of Ukraine off of a joke, why can't you become Pope off of one? Mm, good point. That's a good point. Anyway, 140 of these pilots for the ECMO had less than two years of experience. How many? I missed that. 104. 104. Oh, thank of, you. Out of 250 total. Yeah. Ooh, okay. Um, only 31 had more than 50 hours of nighttime flying. Ooh, that feels worse. 
only 48 had more than 25 hours of flying in bad weather. I'm trying to work out how all of these like intersect, and it's in, in my head. It's just coming back to like one guy. Only yeah, two. Good, I can tell you that. Only two had more than 50 hours of instrument time. Oh, I was right. <laughs> I was right. <laughs> and most of them were reservists, right? Um, oh. Now they dedicated 122 aircraft to ACMO. Few of them had landing lights, navigation lights, or even lights in the cockpit. Don't need a mad's wipe. <laughs> Very few of them had radios. Bad wipe. None of them had instruments. Ads wipe. Including <laughs> things like an artificial horizon. Yeah, ads wait. Were you not listening? Yeah. Oh, so, you're just drifting off, of course. Floyd, Floyd doubled down, right? He said to Congress on February Good for 14th. Him, man. <laughs> Listen, if you can't believe in your subordinates, what kind of manager are you? Yeah. We have assigned to this work the most experienced pilots in the Army Air Service, he said. We've had a great deal of experience in flying at night and flying in fogs in bad weather, in blind flying, and flying in other under all other conditions. This was flatly a lie. Yeah, this is true, right? Yes. We have not we have not had the actual experience of flying over oh. these scheduled routes, <laughs> but we feel that after three or four days of preliminary flying over those routes, we shall experience no difficulty in maintaining the regular schedules. I'm not sure how much I like the put me in coach uh, approach to uh, aviation. <laughs> About two days later, three airmail pilots were killed on familiarization flights in Utah and Idaho. I'll do it. <laughs> That'll happen. That's yeah. tough. <laughs> now, Floy, to his credit, ordered a program to fit all planes assigned to ACMO with instruments like artificial horizons and radios. But there were no mechanics trained on how to install them. And oh, pilots just gotta, were not trained in how to use them. <laughs> you you just get in, there's a loose altimeter lying on the seat, and yeah. you're just like, great, <laughs> I've got this now. Wow. Why is it still at zero? <laughs> <laughs> so the ACMO was going to run reduced service, right? 17 routes covering 11,000 miles. Now on February 18th, right before the, um, whatchamacallit, right before ACMO was going to start, Eddie Rickenbacker from Eastern Air Transport and Jack Fire from TWA pulled a stunt, right? Again, uh, oh look, look at the time, it's time to do some silly bullshit. Yes, they flew, they flew their prototype DC-1. Preston Lacey and Wee Man. <laughs> They flew their prototype DC-1 clear across the country with fare-paying passengers and mail in 13 hours, smashing the previous record by five hours. Uh, the DC-1 was essentially the prototype for the DC-3. Um, mm. Now, the following day, February 19th, the first airmail flights took off and ran straight into a blizzard that crossed the whole damn country. <laughs> Most flights were canceled. Uh, people who flew did make it to their destinations, though, generally speaking. Uh, on February 22, two planes crashed, killing the pilots and destroying the aircraft. You, your mail has been incinerated along yes. with a guy. <laughs> the next day, another plane crashed and sank, drowning a passenger. Cheap. 
This has happened within the first week. Yes, within the first three. I mean, the first fatalities were before the program started. Um, The most vocal opponent of the ACMO scheme was hero of the nation and Nazi Charles Lindbergh. Hero of the nation, Nazi, potential child murderer, impossible to tell. Can't sue us. Yeah, it's true. He's dead. Mm -hmm. He sure is. He also, he was a pedophile. Yeah. Was he? <laughs> no, but oh. like, I well, can say matter. it. Right. You can okay. say it, yeah. <laughs> he was a pedophile. Alice, I do know that to be true. Absolutely. From, from, from knowledge and belief. Charles Lindbergh. Uh, Keep it together, man. Yeah. Oh, I gotta get you some coffee. I had a solid he night's had... sleep last night. <laughs> How much coffee have you had? I haven't had any coffee. What? No, that's your problem. What? That might be it, yeah. Charles Lindbergh. I've seen... Okay, you know what? No, it's fine. <laughs> Charles Lindbergh acted as a spokesman for the airline industry, which of course he had quite a large financial stake in. And his hmm. criticism of the scheme appeared in every major newspaper. Um, additionally, Eddie Rickenbacker of Eastern Air Transport, also a war hero, also hated the New Deal. Um, a lot of called- those guys going around, thus the plot against America, but also uh-huh. like the real-life business plot and stuff. Yeah, and he called ACMO legalized murder. <laughs> okay, guys. It's, it, it's, it's funny how these guys can discover the concept of social murder when it suits them. Yes. <laughs> well, legalized murder was the phrase that really stuck in the press. Right? Mm. Um, now, by March 9th, 10 pilots were dead, and ACMO was already in shambles, right? Um... One of their biggest issues was paying people and also getting, getting, like physically getting the money there. Paying um, people? Weren't they the army? Wasn't there already a pay call? Like, well, the, here's the issue is you are flying out of all these new airfields that are not controlled by the army, right? You are doing maintenance in all these locations as well. Uh, the pilots have to, like, you know, they have to sort of be able to go to the store and buy shit. Um, it's it, it was really difficult setting up like the the pay structure here. I I I I should have devoted more time to this. I didn't because there was it was a huge problem in the beginning. Mm. But it also meant that they couldn't you know procure things for like safety devices for the planes, like for instance thermometers. So you know when the plane has uh, iced wings and is unsafe to fly. <laughs> um, now the other thing is very few of the planes were actually suitable for carrying mail, right? They were mostly fighters and trainers with seats removed and baggage compartments added, which mm. made the planes unbalanced and difficult to control, right? Yeah. Yeah. This male, like, Last sliding the around in right the back. Shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Army pilots who were lucky enough to have a plane with correctly installed instruments often chose not to use them. Okay. Right? <laughs> sure. You know what? Sure. In- instead of relying on instruments, they'd simply fly below bad weather and rely on visual navigation. Right. Oh, no, that's some fucking like William Langovisha kind of like uh, just fly the damn airplane ass kind of uh, conservatism. Morons. None of, the, none of the instruments in the planes were installed co- uh, consistently, right? Mm. So you wouldn't, if you were flying a different aircraft, it may be the same model aircraft, but maybe your artificial horizon is somewhere else, or the altimeter is somewhere else, or you know, maybe you got a maybe the radio is installed on the other side, you know, so. You, Nothing was 
familiar to pilots. You had to familiarize yourself with the aircraft. Yeah, I feel like built hand built is not good in terms of aviation. Yeah. It's a small batch artisanal plane. <laughs> yes. Ah. <laughs> of course. Now, despite this, by the middle of March, most of the mail was being delivered on time. Jesus. Um, That's so by, bad. I guess early March. After some of the last fatalities. But it was <laughs> still a scandal from Roosevelt, right? Who summoned Falloy and MacArthur to the White House on March 10th. Falloy recounts in his autobiography. For the next 10 minutes, MacArthur and I received a tongue lashing, which I put down in my book as the worst I ever received in all my military service. He sucked them off? <laughs> <laughs> kind of weird, but okay, dude. That's a strange show. There was no doubt that what bothered Roosevelt the most was severe criticism his administration was getting over the contract cancellation. He did not seem genuinely concerned or even interested in the difficulties the Air Corps was having. He was a Navy guy. Why the fuck does he give a shit about, like, airplanes? Planes. Yeah, just yeah. put the mail on a ship, like an mm -hmm. adult. Mm-hmm. Uh, in response to this, Floyd grounded the aircraft for 10 days, right? When the planes started flying again March 19th, the schedule was again cut back to, uh, it was now eight routes, and much less flying at night. Uh, they lost another pilot on March 17th in a training flight. Yeah, just really like, uh, once again, like corkscrewing in. Yeah, huh? yeah. Meanwhile, the Republicans in Congress had finally found something to pin on the overwhelmingly popular New Deal Roosevelt administration, right? Yeah, we don't have to just kill him. We can, <laughs> like... Social murder uh, it, him. <laughs> yeah. It, it's important, I think, important context here that no ordinary person is sending anything by airmail. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this is still kind of a niche operation. Um, but the newspapers covered the scandal relentlessly. There are congressional inquiries, and the ACMO was, you know, ruthlessly pilloried despite you know, the safety record improving significantly after the March grounding. Um, pretty soon there were temporary contracts with commercial airlines supplementing ACMO service. Meanwhile, Senator Hugo Black and Dennis McKellar began drafting up a new airmail bill. I, uh, there's, there's a future in which, like, libs, I mean, think about how much they would enjoy getting their mail delivered by the army, right? Yes, they'd love well, that shit. Imagine um, if the uh, imagine if the, uh, the 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 mail truck was in camo and absolutely. had big tires. <laughs> absolutely, um, <laughs> and was less reliable. <laughs> 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 so the Airmail Act of 1934 proposed new competitive bidding rules for airmail contracts. It permitted it prohibited airline contracts from bidding on those routes entirely, particularly. It targeted United Aircraft and Transport Company. You may remember it was the only one that was not, um, not found to have corrupt ties. Um, <laughs> gotcha. So the airlines most affected, I mean, all the airlines were prohibited from bidding, right? Uh, what they did is they reorganized under new names. Well, that's clever. So American Airways became American Airlines. 
<laughs> that's the reason why there's no consistency between airways and airlines. Yeah, and, and and that's why you have like three different flag carriers. Eastern Air Transport became Eastern Airlines. Oh TWA added Incorporated to the end of its name. I. They sure. all <laughs> they all won back their old roots. Uh, UATC, however, was divided into United Aircraft, Boeing Aircraft, and United Airlines. Despite being the only airline that which fairly won the transcontinental route, it was cut out entirely from airmail contracts. Lie, cheat, <laughs> steal, everybody's doing it. <laughs> the long-term effect of the uh, airmail scandal was to drive airlines away from mail transport as a core business, right? They focused primarily on passenger transportation. A disaster for the climate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The effect on Roosevelt's popularity and the popularity of the New Deal in full only suffered temporarily. God, this imagine if he used any of that like absorbent uh, ability of his successors to do anything more communist. Yeah, I know, right? Um, mm. uh, the scandal was soon forgotten to basically everyone except those in the airline <laughs> business, right? Who remained bitter for decades. Um. Amco's last notable flight occurred May 8th, 1934. They just uh, had brand new B-10 bombers delivered, and uh, they covered the distance from Oakland, California to Newark, New Jersey in 15 hours, right? Just, uh, just an hour slower than Rickenbacker, and while covering more miles and making more, more stops, right? Um, the operation dissolved entirely except for one route which was Chicago to Fargo, North Dakota, on May 17th. That route was the last one handed over on June 1st. Mm. Uh, Major General Benjamin Falloy, under fire from a congressional investigation, retired from the Army Air Corps. Ah, oh, well. All he did was get a couple of guys killed, which for a Major General, I mean... Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's underperforming, really. That's your job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The airmail operation accounted for 12% of the Air Corps' flying hours in 1934, yet it registered 31% of the fatal accidents. <laughs> <laughs> the Air Corps itself reformed training programs after this point to include simulator training, instrument training, and more bad weather flight experience. If you look up an old-timey flight simulator, it's a pretty wacky device. Um... Because oh, literally, yeah. it's like just a miniature plane, mm -hmm. and there's like hydraulics hooked up to the instruments, and it like pitches back and forth, and then there's like a a matte painting of the sky around you. <laughs> oh man, I'm just reading about this. Fulois, the, the they didn't even offer him anything back when World War II broke out. He spent the whole war in civil defense in New Jersey. Oh, oh my god, the indignity of it all. Yeah. Um. This also proved the obsolescence of open cockpit planes. So they mm. stopped buying new ones, which they still had been doing up to this time. Good for that, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, lessons from the airmail scandal or the airmail fiasco, as I believe it's known in military circles, proved important for the, uh, the United States Army Air Force in World War II, resulting in pilots with more experience flying in more weather conditions, 
And the yeah. subsequent Berlin airlift, of course, proved the Air Force's capacity to actually transport stuff. We figured it out eventually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a straight line from like this this plane upside down in the field to like the um uh the military airlift command. Yeah. Um airmail as a different level of mail service was ended in 1975. You mean I've been buying those fancy envelopes for nothing? Sorry about it. Yeah, no, no, today they most mail travels by air wherever possible. Mm. Yeah. That's but Royal Mail anymore. has those cool trains. Uh, that's true. We don't. We don't do. That was. That was another. Another weird effect is that. Um. Well, I don't think it was directly because of the airmail scandal, but the USPS did stop sending mail by train, like, about a decade later. It's all trucks and planes now. Everything's trucks yeah, and planes. We have uh, a couple of like Royal Mail operated Class Three Two Five trains, which sweet. Uh, if if you'll indulge me, a notable because yeah. the um uh the the number of each car is noted in a different font than it otherwise would be. It's in Royal Mail's corporate font, it's in a oh. Castellan font. Oh, that's cool. So you can kind of so you can kind of tell if you were in doubt uh beside the giant red Royal Mail livery. Uh, and I always thought those were really cool. Well, we'll figure out how to privatize it eventually. Mm -hmm. Um. Mm -hmm. Um. And the airmail scandal, I think, is, is sort of largely forgotten to history, but it did became the name of a scenario in the Urban Games title Transport Fever, which, ah, of course... the game you know, that I break with mods, and then I did, like, well, that doesn't really narrow it down, but one of the games that I break <laughs> with mods, and then can't and, play. And of course, this, uh, this, this scenario, like most scenarios in that game, bore no resemblance to actual events, and the only actual tangential relationship to history was that they did mention hero of the nation and Nazi Charles Lindbergh. Um, <laughs> well, that's why you got to mod it, is because like as it comes, it's just like a grab bag of like weird transport things they thought it would be cool to model. There's nothing systematic about it. Yeah, there's uh, there's uh, I I have a friend who mentioned you know the main problem with transport fever is they forgot to add the fun. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I'll make my own fun, but you got to yeah. give me some like give, more give me, trains give, give and me planes. A little than, bit like... to start. You got to give me something yeah, give me, to start out with. I mean, give, give me give me a sense of place is what I want. Give me some like trains from like Britain, so I'm not using Swiss ones in my fake Britain map. You have to have a special kind of autism to get into that game. Mm, you don't have so, autism. I know, right? Well, I guess I have a special one that didn't show up on the tests. <laughs> ah. <laughs> Mega autism. Yes. Hyper autism. <laughs> Rostism. Yes. Mm. <laughs> just called but, being a nerd. We're just appropriating the language of, yeah, we're uh, bad of autism. That's yeah, true. That is true. I don't I don't think I have well, autism. Mm. I don't know. I do like imaginative <laughs> play and shit. Um I, I don't know. None of us might be autistic. All of us might be autistic. Self-diagnosis is weird, but if you want me to stop self-diagnosing, you should probably fund my nation's healthcare system so give, someone yeah, can diagnose me for real. Give her healthcare. Also, we're not trying to be ableist here. Sorry if we came off that way. Mm. There's a lesson here, I think, about rapid nationalization of stuff. Oh, for sure. Yeah, you you yeah. should do it. Well, yes. But I, I don't think you can, you can't just take an existing service and instantly hand it off to the army. You um, can, you just lose a couple of guys. Yeah, sure. you, just, you just murder some people, yeah. I don't know, if, you, if, if, if FDR had like, I don't know, we're going to nationalize the airlines, 
that would have made a lot more sense because most of the same people would still be in charge. They could still run things properly. Mm. Probably would have had more lasting impact, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Should have done it. Well, <sighs> unfortunately, social democracy strikes again. Mm. It, it social democracy it always fails. You gotta you gotta do big corrupt Everard Clare style communism. Yes, and I mean I, we we are all living in a time when with this character's death the thread of prophecy is severed. But it's Huey Long. Yeah, you imagine we could all work for the big Huey Long airline. We'd all be pilots. We mm-hmm. some of us would even fly planes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we have a segment on this podcast called Safety Third. Shake hands with danger. Good morning, WTYP PC peoples. Interesting. What? Well, there's your I problem don't... podcast. For oh, a second, I see. I, for a second, I thought that was actually like ATM machine, like it'd be, well, there's <laughs> your problem podcast podcast. Oh. So, well, so well, there's, styles, sure. well, there's your problem, communist Carty. Yes, communist Carty. I hope I find you in merry spirits. Decent. Shouldn't I, have had three beers recording this, but I'll yeah, manage. Well, what's she gonna do? I'm on beer stuff number three off. right here. Yeah, <laughs> but you're allowed to. I'm not allowed to, and I'm doing it anyway. That's yeah. yeah, fine. Just, mm. I, I, we won't tell anyone. No. Thank you. No, yeah. None of you, the listeners, tell anyone yeah. either. I have for you a safety third for the great southern land of Oz, mm. in which ma- a man does not follow best practice. In your episode on Five Over Ones, you mentioned that it is now possible to design and build a house without being in contact with an engineer at all. And this is true. Instead of being in contact with an engineer, you're in contract in contact with me, your friendly neighborhood timber systems designer, or truss and frame detailer, if you want to be old school about it. I have no degree. I have a two-year apprenticeship and a cert, a, a cert three. My job is to sit in an office all day and design the truss and frame system for the hundreds of almost but not quite identical houses that our building industry makes on the daily. The office I worked in at the time of this tale was attached to a timber yard and floor truss plant. Both the yard and the plant were jurisdictions of the company's production manager, a truly terrifying man who lived and breathed trusses. (laughs) (laughs) That's so evocative. I'm getting Isambard Kingdom Brunel vibes there. Oh yeah, absolutely. (laughs) There were almost no incidents in the yard or plant because of him. (laughs) <laughs> He's like a fucking Hearts of Iron advisor, yeah. <laughs> you just like add him to the board. He, however, did not have jurisdiction over the chippies who installed the trusses on site. I don't know what a, hmm. I don't know what a chippy is. I assume it's affectionate Australian for carpenter. That's what I would think. <laughs> that's that was my thought. Yeah, you know, you get or the, joiner, I suppose we'd joiner. say here. Yeah. The top and bottom cords of a floor truss are made of wood. And in shorter trusses, the webs are made of pressed galvanized steel to decrease production time. Beautiful and example here. Beautiful example here. You have a top cord, you have a bottom cord, and you see the galvanized steel, right? Because here we should note the trusses are only strong in one axis, the tall one. On the flat, 
the trusses have the equivalent strength of the timber that forms the top and bottom cords, which isn't that fantastic when it's five meters of 90 by 45 MGP 10. I don't know what that is. Maybe it's 90 by 45 meters, and then whatever a GP10 whatever is. Whatever a GP10. A GP10 is a type Sorry. of locomotive. Yes. <laughs> what is a GP10? I... GP10 lumber. We're gonna figure this shit out. I don't... I don't... Oh, it is MGP10. It is MGP10. Uh, Machine-graded pine. Uh, Interesting. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, I don't know anything about wood. I only know about steel. <laughs> It's well, you don't you don't have to feel bad. This is specifically an Australian classification. Uh, that'll do it. The trusses can either be mounted with brackets between beams or sit directly over the top plate of the wall frame. Secured at the supports by either four skew nails driven through the bottom cord and top plate, or by a couple of small galvanized steel brackets. Brackets are usually about 40 millimeters tall, and the trusses are usually 450 millimeters deep. To stop the trusses from falling over when supported in the latter way, bracing along the end webs is installed, as well as strong backs through the center spans when necessary. I'm getting confused here. Yeah, um, me too, bud. <laughs> <laughs> okay, without this bracing, the trusses are very unstable. Mm. I have included for, referen for reference the do not section of the relevant Floor truss installation guide. Oh, I like this guy on the oh. bottom right. <laughs> do, do, don't oh, be see. doing this shit. I see. Don't stack materials on unbraced trusses. Don't allow the stack to lean on the walls or be in a concentrated area so they overload. Okay, yeah, so on and so forth. Because they're, they're weak until they have a th dental. Okay, okay sure. yeah, yeah, that makes sure. sense. I'm in the office and I receive a call. A chippy has fallen two stories while installing some of our floor trusses, breaking at least one of them, as well as several of his arm and leg bones and a few of his ribs. Oh. We head to the site and see what might have happened. What befalls our eyes is a ver veritable bingo sheet of safety violations. I'm reading, I'm sorry, I'm, I am reading this in Australian in my head. A veritable <laughs> bingo sheet of violations. <laughs> <laughs> Good day, mate. <laughs> Offshore prison camps. <laughs> oh, rack off me fucking truss. A bingo ate me chippy. <laughs> <laughs> the the house in we question. We love you, Australians. Please keep sending these in. WTYPpod at gmail.com. Thank you. Mm -hmm. The house in question is a three story townhouse with a large opium atrium at the front and an indoor first floor balcony and master bedroom directly above. That sounds ostentatious. Um, mm. Oh, it's a fucking McMansion. <laughs> the chippy in question was stacking large sheets of Sycon, Sycon flooring, over a section of newly installed and as yet unbraced floor truss that formed the ceiling of this double height space. Oh, he stepped on one, didn't he? Oh, fi 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 figure, figure, figure twenty here. It says you C don't step on them. See figure sixteen, seventeen, and twenty of the installation guide. Yes. When one of the trusses he was standing on rolled sideways underneath them. <laughs> See, it's the good in one axis, but it moves yeah. if it's it not moves, braced. It's not braced. Yeah. Well, this chippy was not a small man. 
in combination. <laughs> Who is? Yeah, that's yeah. Um, um, oh. <laughs> show, show, show me a delicate construction joiner. I you, you you every once in a while you run into like a really tiny laborer, you know. Mm. Generally speaking, though, you get your CSCS card or whatever the ex- the equivalent is. You gain about a hundred pounds as soon as you sign yeah. the fucking thing. Um, in combination with four or so sheets of flooring, impacted the truss figure eighteen on the wide section, breaking it near neatly in two. Uh-huh. He plummeted about seven meters. Landing on the Psycon panels and a pallet of boxes containing various fixings for other parts of the build. The truss halves, still somewhat attached to the wall frame, swung in towards their end supports, then detached and fell a neat distance away from him. It's very clean, you know? That's yeah. like one of those bridge construction games. Yeah. Where once it, f- it fails perfectly in the middle, it just swings down. By the time we arrived, he was already on his way to the hospital, and the rest of the chippies had moved on to the next building until the site could be secured by WorkSafe SA. South Australia. South Australia. Australia. Bound for South Australia. I was about to fucking do that. You'd never been born. In South Australia, I was born. Great song. Yes. Mm. When it became obvious that the trust had been used outside of recommended parameters, and it wasn't our fault, and after it had been inspected and photographed by the WorkSafe investigators, we took it back to the plant to be de-webbed and disposed of, and then produced a new one to replace it. The lesson here, kids, is not to score a 4 out of 5 on the dumbfuck bingo card, including on the site <laughs> pack. <laughs> site safety is important. Do, yeah, do, it, it's, got, it's got a thing over it so you know not to do it. Yeah. <laughs> do not moonwalk across the top of one of these trusses. God, it really does look like he's moonwalking, huh? It does, though, yeah. Mm. yeah that was, um... Yeah. Wow. Well, that was... Safety third. S- safety third? Shake hands with danger. Shake hands with danger. Right? Thank you. Right? <laughs> Thank you. Really appreciate that. Our next episode is on the Boston Molasses Disaster. Does anybody have any commercials before we go? Uh, listen to Kill James Bond. We are very, we're now out of James Bond movies. We're very, uh, very soon approaching the time where we do a live show. Keep your eyes peeled for that. Uh, we will do No Time to Die in the form of a live show in London, England. So be prepared to make your way to that at a go at a time TBD. Um, uh, listen to Trash Future, listen to Lions Led by Donkeys, listen to 10,000 Losses, uh, there's, there's uh, Franklin, possibly, yeah, possibly. Presidio Bay, possibly, yeah. Penn Central Part 2 is coming. Yes. Uh, sorry this one is not Penn Central Part 2, and also is a little bit late, but we had some issues yeah, working on it. <laughs> We're also going to work on getting merch better. Basically, uh, yeah, think think of us like your dirtbag boyfriend, right? We know we fucked up, but we're gonna we're gonna be better from now on. <laughs> yes, we will not be, but we'll we're say not, we're not gonna be, and that's, gonna, that's the important uh, thing. Yeah, we're we're we're, we're fucked, but you know, you've, you've stuck <laughs> out this far. So. <laughs> we're, we're such a fucking mess, yeah. dude. <laughs> All right, well, that was a podcast. That was a podcast. Thanks, everybody. Yeah.